Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. We're here with Malabama. Hi, everybody. TK Coleman. What it is. We've got the rest of our team here. Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Danny Unknown, of course, Social Jess and Podcast Sean, and the rest of our team are joining us remotely, as well as all of our patrons on the live stream, joining us if you subscribe to the video version today. Shout out to you. You keep this podcast 100% advertisement-free because, say it with me, y'all. Advertisements suck. Yes, they do. Let's start with our callers today. We got so much to talk about. We're talking about clutter core today. Mm. I can't wait to talk about this subject, this topic, this new design trend, this mental illness mm. with each of you. Yeah. Oh, we have so much to talk about, but we're going to start with our callers. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you're a private podcast subscriber so we can prioritize your question. Our first question today is from Reginie. My name is Renjani. I am from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I am a Patreon subscriber. Over 15 years ago, I had a paper crafts business. I was a one-woman operation with a toddler at the time. After two years of working around the clock, I burned out. I had to either find a full-time job quickly or sell all the product I had left in my basement, which was around $30,000 of stock. I went back to work full-time, and in the years that followed, I went through several life changes that allowed me no time to declutter all the stock in the basement. Plus, I had decades of stuff that I had amassed in, in the house. Fortunately, I stumbled upon your first film. It was eye-opening for me, so thank you for that. Over the past year and a half, I have sold and given away a huge amount of our possessions, but I am still struggling with the stock in the basement. I try to give away anything that is not worth at least $50. However, I'm confused about how to value... Uh, this brand is new, but now vintage stock. Collectively, the stock is worth a decent amount, even with front costs factored in. But if it's sold as individual items, I have very little worth over $50. For example, if I have a box of 50 packages of chipboard letters where each package retails for $6, individually $6 isn't much, but $300 is substantial. I have tried selling some of these individual products as part of a larger kit combined with other products, and I've also tried selling them individually and in bulk on Facebook Marketplace and eBay with mixed success. After nearly two years of this, I am tired. I've given thousands of dollars worth of stock already, given it away, but feel so guilty and stressed with the stock that seems bottomless and never-ending. I am tired of the effort and time it takes to list, sell, and ship. I also find myself getting annoyed that when I give it away, it's the same people every time that come grab it. Teddy, I know. Any advice on managing that emotion? I have been trying to focus on organizations and schools, but honestly, I feel like I'm still clinging. Uh, I want to keep a small stash for myself, small being the operative word, but I'm struggling on what to keep, what to let go, how to look at and value the remaining stock, and just the feelings of clinging and guilt that I'm trying to fight. So I would appreciate any advice you can provide. Thank you so much. Reginie, I'm so sorry that you're going through a, a difficult time of 
not just physical clutter, but there's a ton of mental clutter that is being produced by this, the emotional clutter. And I want to answer your question head on. But first, I'm reminded since we're doing the whole episode today about clutter core, and I've got this article from parents.com. It's called Clutter Core is the trend many parents need right now. And I want Reginie to avoid this trend in her own basement because she's inadvertently created this cluttered space. Hmm. And that wouldn't be a problem by itself, I don't think. Mm -mm. But it's causing all of this inner turmoil, this suffering, this stress, this discontent. And of course, the fear as well. And she's even feeling agony and anger toward other people. So the clutter in her basement is leading her to lash out sometimes toward other people or potentially lash lash out toward other people. Jordan, on the screen, I'd love to put a picture here of Clutter Core. This is the new design trend. This picture that you're going to see, and Danny's going to give us the iPad so we can take a look at it here. This trend, this Clutter Core trend, this is a picture from Architectural Digest. I'm going to hand this over to, well, I'm going to take a a look at this picture. TK, and then we'll hand it over to Ryan here. This new trend is called clutter core. So this is this is in vogue right now. Yes, and let's talk about why. We've decided. Yeah, yeah. That is, um, that stresses me out looking at it. <laughs> but you know what? For this woman right here, though, maybe it doesn't stress her out, you know, which is, you know, I'm not going to judge her for it. But yeah, for me, that is, that's, mm. That's pretty extreme. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have any judgments. I have some observations about this, right? So this picture that you see on the screen right now Mm. is a picture from Architectural Digest. And this new trend is called Clutter Core, where it's taking all of the things that we're clinging to and now displaying it and being proud of the clinging. This is not a design trend. This is a mental illness that is disguised Hmm. as a design trend. It's holding on to everything, not being willing to let go. I'm okay with holding on to certain things. In fact, later in this episode, we're going to talk about maximalism, the intentional use of beautiful objects. Totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. However, with something like this, we're simply hiding the problem. And worse, we're displaying the problem and pretending it's virtuous. Mm -hmm. I used to be obese, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is obesity of stuff. It's the overconsumption, and then looking at it and saying, oh, this is a good thing. I'm taking the thing that stresses me out, that makes me worried, that makes me depressed, that makes me upset, and I'm going to display it to the world and say, look at me. I can't let go of everything, Mm. and I'm proud of it. Mm. No, this is creating illness in our lives. It's creating not just the discontent, but it's creating discontent for the people around us Mm. as well. And so the same way as when I was obese and I kept eating and consuming and consuming and consuming, I was also materially obese Mm -hmm. in my own life. Ryan and I, when we were back in the corporate days, before we were the minimalists, we held on to a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. We accumulated even more stuff. We became possession obese. And as we held on to those things, it was only a problem because it got in the way. And that's what clutter is. And so clutter core is what? It's getting in the way core. Mm. It's celebrating the things that get in the way. Mm. I'm all for displaying beautiful objects, beautiful things, owning things that add value to your life. I'm not for relabeling something that is stressful and anxiety producing 
as something as though it's positive and mm. it is useful in our lives. These things, yeah. if they get in the way for you, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's a problem. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This seems like a, like a really, um, I don't know, like a hardcore, uh, American flex of like, look at all the stuff that I own. Here it is. It's kind of like how, um, uh, like back in the day, uh, different, like, you know, landowners, they would grow grass just to show that they had so much money. They didn't even have to plant a crop. They could just like, you know, grow a lawn. Yeah. That's where front yards mm-hmm. came from. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this to me seems like, man, it is the strangest flex. I wonder if there's any value though. And maybe, maybe you got some insight on this TK, but I wonder if there's any value to someone embracing their clutter. So like a hoarder, for example, they beat themselves up day after day because they have so much stuff, but it's so overwhelming to like even dig into, Mm -hmm. you know, that nothing ever happens and it just continues to accumulate. Is there any advantage to just saying, you know what, I'm a hoarder. That's what I am. And let me display it. I Mm. I, I think it's the same thing as that's sort of giving up in a way, right? Oh yeah. yeah. It's giving up. Now, I also don't want you to beat yourself up. And that's actually why I brought this question up for Regine, because I don't believe that she's doing the clutter core thing, but I want her to avoid that if this clutter, which it clearly is causing some sort of suffering in her life. And that suffering is leading to discontent. And by saying, what's she doing now? So Ryan's bringing up a good point. I don't want her to beat herself up over the things, yeah. but I want her to understand that it is also okay to let go. Yeah, that's right. Ryan, with respect to your question, is there any value? I like to think that with any form of behavior that is self-defeating or appears to be self-defeating, people are doing it because it gives them some kind of value, even if it's something that they would be better off letting go. And the first step to letting go is figuring out, well, how is this creating value in my life? And then how can I go about replacing that value in a healthier way, in a way that has less cost or less negative consequence. Um, One thing that you see, economically speaking, is something that's called costly signaling. Costly signaling is a social phenomenon whereby you take on a really high expense for the sake of signaling strength or reliability or endurance to other people because Mm. the average person can't absorb that cost. And if you can absorb it, it might say something about you that creates a social result. Banks do this in terms of like their properties. They spend a lot of money on these physical expensive properties because they are signaling to people, we are here to stay Mm -hmm. and you can trust us because you're probably not going to put your money in a bank unless it physically looks like it's going to be there for a long time. So having those huge pillars and things like that creates that impression. Uh, People even do it with sometimes things like the BMW. It's a social signal. If you work in a certain kind of industry, you might want to signal to your customers or to your peers, I belong here. I'm not struggling with money. Therefore, you can trust me to be your financial advisor. Mm -hmm. It even happens in poor neighborhoods. Wearing the $300 shoes might signal to people, hey, I'm cool. I'm somebody that is to be respected or I'm somebody that's good at basketball or I'm somebody that takes care of myself. Doesn't mean that it's the right decision. It's not about moralizing it, but it's about understanding it in terms of the incentives and the benefits we get out of playing these different types of social games. But bringing it back to you, Regin, I I think Josh is absolutely right in terms of not, not overwhelming yourself in this way. One thing I would say to continue kind of like this economic theme is that when it comes to selling things, 
there's a difference between the catalog cost and what other people are willing to pay. And sometimes it can be very difficult to honestly face the reality of demand when we are familiar with the sacrifices we made to acquire something. So if I paid $1,000 for it and there's nobody out there that's willing to pay me more than 200, that's gonna be tough for me to sell at Mm -hmm. that price, especially when I have a magazine I can look up or an industry catalog I can look at that tells me the market value is $1,000. That's the market value. That's what I pay. Except it's not, right? Because the moment someone pays $200 front for it, What's going to happen is that catalog is going to be updated and then the market value is going to be lower. That's what we see happening in the stock market all the time. Why does that price go up? Why does that price go down? Because it's changing in relation to what other people are paying. When people start paying more for it, then the value goes up. When people are like, nah, I'm not willing to pay $100 for that stock. It says $100 in the books, but that price is going to call, you know, come down once somebody says, okay, I'm willing to sell it for 75. So I would think about the value of these things, not in terms of how much you already paid for it, but I would think about it in terms of what is the real demand, even if that's significantly less than the sacrifices I made at one point in the past. Mm-hmm. Because even though you paid a lot for it, you're going to continue to pay more for it in non-financial terms by harboring the stress and the guilt and the self-condemnation and the resentment and the frustration of having something that's taking up space in your life when you don't want it. And you got to keep thinking about it and you got to keep listing things and you got to keep checking up with the listings and you got to keep texting people and keep responding to phone calls and keep thinking about it. That's a cost that you're paying every single day. Mm. And you got to ask yourself, how much is that worth? Yeah. We're really talking about the additional costs here. Yeah. So if I'm in Reginie's shoes, the thing I want to get really clear about, she said, I want to hold on to some of these things. Mm. Okay, great. What yeah. specifically do you want to hold on? Well, th- there's yeah. only one way to determine that. It's yep. by going through and saying, what will add value to my life? That's the first step. And then also understanding, okay, but is that still going to get in the way? Just because something adds value to my life doesn't mean that I'm supposed to hold on to it. Because there's the opportunity cost of letting it go to make room for something that is more special to me, more value adding, more precious, more enjoyable than those things. And so as soon as you've identified the things that you want to hold on to, maybe of the $30,000 worth of stock, there's yeah. there's $500 worth that you want to hold on to, then everything else is something you want to get rid of, Right. How do I let go of material possessions? It's pretty simple. It's a, it's a basic formula because it's a very mechanical thing. I list it. If I can sell it for more than $20, now that threshold is going to be different for you. And I probably need to update this rule, by the way, Ryan. <laughs> I, I was thinking that when we did the, the 2020 rule. Yeah, that was like... 2011. 10, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I looked it up recently. Inflation, it's now the $26 rule. Oh, okay. All right. 26? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Within 26 <laughs> miles, $26. Yeah. Anyway, I think you get the point. For something like this, it's probably not worth listing something that is $3, $10, whatever, because of the amount of stress it's causing you. Yeah. However, if it wasn't causing you any stress, I would tell you, say yes. If you were enjoying the process of selling each item individually and you set up a, a booth at a flea market and you're interacting with people, yeah, that one's 50 cents, this one's $5, great. Yeah. 
then I would say, wonderful, what a joyous experience. You actually get to have some joy from letting go of these things. But Mm. right now, it's not causing joy. It's causing anguish. And it's causing fear because you're afraid of letting go of any of it. Mm. And so let's say that you could theoretically sell this $30,000 worth of stock for $5,000 right now and take a $25,000 loss. That's a sunk cost. It doesn't matter. But even then, let's say the stock is worth $5,000, but you're going to have to spend a year getting rid of it. Maybe it makes sense to simply donate it. Maybe Mm. losing the $5,000, if you can afford it, is the opportunity for you to let go. It's almost as though you're paying $5,000 in order to let go of not just the stuff, but all of the mental clutter and emotional clutter that tags along with it. I I just had to do that. I, I had two bathroom rugs that I paid $50 for. And this was a few years ago and I was selling them on Marketplace for 20. Several people inquired, so many no-shows, so many people rescheduling. And this happened over a period of two weeks to the point where it's like, I do not love $20 enough to work this hard for it. People are Mm -hmm. no-showing me, people are wasting my time, people are changing their plans, all sorts of things. Someone who happens to work around the corner shows up and says, I'll buy the rugs for 10. Mm -hmm. Now I paid 50, listed it for 20, couldn't be happier to give it away for 10 because what I lose in that $10 from the listing and what I lose in that $40 from the original price, I gain in never having to think or talk about those rugs again, especially after spending two weeks having more conversations about bathroom rugs Mm -hmm. than I would ever (laughs) hope to have, right? So you got to think about those additional costs. Yeah, that's But like you said, if you enjoy it, do it. Yeah, Yeah. that's how I look at it. It's like, um, Regine, um, if you could afford... If you had $30,000 extra in the bank and you could afford it and you could lose that and it wouldn't like make you go bankrupt, would you spend that $30,000 to get rid of all your clutter? Mm. And, and that's, it's a high price to pay. But again, the question doesn't matter the price as much as what, what is it worth to you? And it's activity clutter as well, because yeah. it's taking up, it's calendar clutter. It's taking up so much of your time trying mm. to let go of these things yeah. that as you've stated, individually, they're essentially worthless right? They're, they're not worth enough to try to sell, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to find a way, I'm going to give myself a deadline. And then mechanically, I'm going to go through the whole formula here. So we'll wrap it up by saying this. There's an essay, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. This is, it's called How to Let Go. And it's about letting go of possessions. And the first thing I'll do is I will try to sell a thing if it is worth more than $100 or $50 or $20, you get to set your threshold. If it doesn't sell in a week, what do I do? I don't just panic. I lower the price, as TK just illustrated, right? If it doesn't sell within 30 days, no matter how much I want to sell it, then I will donate it. If I can't donate it for some reason, because no place will take it. I remember the, I was just telling, I think Danny about this recently. When our last documentary came out, Less Is Now, it hit Netflix. Mm. That I was just going to Goodwill with my monthly donation box. And I walk up, it's the one right down the street from here. Mm-hmm. I walk up in my box and I'm like, here, I'd like to donate. He's like, I'm sorry, we can't take any more donations right now. There's this new documentary that just came out <laughs> and everyone is giving us their stuff. So good. And I just sort of <laughs> scurried away with my box of stuff. And, and it, was, it was a big problem for me. But um, usually most months I take it to Goodwill. But if they won't take it, what do I do? Mm. If I can't donate it anywhere, I can't sell it, then eventually, yes, I will trash it. 
but only as a last resort. Mm, there are yeah. plenty of things that you can do with your stuff before simply renting a dumpster and throwing all your stuff in there. Yeah. We're not suggesting that, but it may come to a point where in order to get it out of your life, if you've tried everything else, throwing it in the trash might be the yeah. best way to let go. Mm. Speaking of documentaries, our first film, Minimalism, which you can download right now at minimalismfilm.com. It, we have six hours of bonus interviews in there, and a lot of people talked and had answers about questions about clutter and how we use our home space in those bonus interviews. They didn't make the um, they didn't make the final cut of the film, but there were some really great interviews in there. So yeah. you can watch the film over there, minimalismfilm.com. It's on iTunes and Amazon and everywhere else. And also you can download the six hours of bonus interviews at minimalismfilm.com. But Reginie, we're going to send you a copy of that as well as the bonus interviews. Hopefully it'll get you inspired to let go of this excess that has taken up all that space in your basement and in your heart. Jessica has a question for us. Clutter triggers my anxiety. And with this, I know that minimizing my possessions helps me remain calm and function better. The problem that I'm facing is that I'm a mother of two young kids and a husband who subscribes to the just-in-case mentality. I understand that it's not my job or desire to change them, but as the keeper of the home, I end up taking the burden of tidying and maintaining their belongings. I can handle it most days, but at times I feel resentful and frustrated. What advice do you have to help me cope with this? I don't have any advice, but I have some observations for you. You don't want to manage the clutter. You don't want to cope with the clutter. You want to eliminate it. Now, you also need to understand that what's clutter for you may not be clutter for someone else in the household, right? I was in my daughter's room last night. We were reading some stories before bed. And I, I had talked to her about clutter core last night as a design aesthetic. And she's like, what's that? I said, it's when people hold on to things that get in the way. Mm. And I'm like, do you have anything in your room right now that gets in the way? And she's like, yeah, this thing here and this thing here. I'm like, what about that? That seems like, no, no, no. I use that all the time. I like playing with, okay, well then that's not clutter if you enjoy it. And I have to understand that, but I also understand what is the boundary that she has set up there. Mm. When I think about managing clutter, I think that's a problem. We often try to manage it by what? Organizing our clutter. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a trip to Walmart or the container store, get a bunch of bins so I can manage my clutter. That's hiding the clutter. <laughs> I'm going to buy more stuff to put my stuff in. It <laughs> <laughs> feels like the beginning of a, of a George Carlin bit, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I need to buy some stuff to manage my stuff. You wouldn't say that about cancer. Right. If you had cancer, you wouldn't say, what are the best ways to manage the cancer? You say, doctor, how do I eliminate this cancer? I need to cut this out of my body. I can't take it. This is a problem in my life. I don't want to manage my problems. Mm. I don't want to deal with my problems. I don't want to cope with my problems. I want to eliminate my problems. I want to eliminate the clutter from my life so I can live a more meaningful life for me. And the only way I can do that is by letting go. And what you're telling me is, uh-oh, these other people in my house, I'm beginning to resent them because they don't want exactly the same things that I want oh, wow. in my life. Mm. Well, that's going to be true with anyone. And so you have a few solutions here. The first one is, I guess you can live by yourself. If you never want to deal with someone who has different preferences from you, that's one thing you can do. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm simply saying that's one way to deal with this, to manage the clutter 
is to not bring it in in the first place. Or it's to understand that you're letting go of needing it to be an exact way. Mm. And that's what I had to do in my own life because Bex and Ella have different preferences from what I have. And so I had to understand that if I want to be able to coexist with these other people, and same with this podcast, I want to coexist with Ryan and Mallory and TK and, and the rest of our team here, well, I need to let go of the expectation that everyone is going to want exactly what I want. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you also have that, like your, your uh, personal space, little studio apartment. <laughs> yes. Well, and so, I have Which both- is, but it's great though, because like you can kind of remove yourself from uh, if you're stressing out or whatever. I did this yesterday, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Um, when Ella and Bex were home and I was working from home and it, there was just chaos. Our neighbors came over for some reason and then <laughs> Ella's like friend comes over and I'm like, I need to get out of here immediately. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, getting out of there meant going next door or wherever, mm-hmm. going to a coffee shop, removing myself from yeah. the situation that is triggering my stress response. It, and by, by the way, it's not, I want to be clear about this. It's not Bex and Ella that are stressing me out. I am stressing me out based on the expectations mm. I have of the people in my household. Yeah, and I'm not trying to recommend getting a studio apartment as much as it's about removing yourself. And sometimes you do have to take a break. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if you know this or not, TK, but uh, Josh's nickname for me is the messy minimalist. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't have a ton of stuff. um, But sometimes uh, the little stuff I have is everywhere. And uh, it's because I come home and I take off my jacket, I put it on the chair or, um, you know, my my keys are over here, my wallet's over there, my phone's over there. And I remember... um, you know, times when Mariah came to me and she's like, Hey, um, can you please like, you know, tidy up your stuff instead of like strewing it everywhere. And I'm like, Oh, like, cause for, for me, it doesn't bother me to, you know, have a little bit of, you know, um, my, my, my stuff kind of scattered throughout the place, but it bothers Mariah, but she asked for help. And because I love her, I want to support her. I want to, I want to give to our relationship. I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, I will absolutely start looking out for this stuff. And you didn't even know it was an issue for her until she said something. Exactly. So, you know, um, yeah. So for for Jessica, I mean, ask for some, ask for some help. Um, Like try to, you know, show your husband and show your kids like how much it means to you to have, you know, a a more clutter-free zone. And, you know, if you ask for some help, they might just be willing to give it. Hmm. I like that. I like that. So, man, I'm, I'm thinking about this time where me and my dad, my best friend in the world, me and my pop, we were in an argument. He was concerned about some of my choices that I was making at that time in my life, my creative risk. Uh-oh. And uh, and I said, you know, he said to me, he goes, son, follow your dreams, but don't ask me to finance everything that you want to do. Mm. And I was like, but you're my dad. You should support me. And he mm. says, okay. I'm happy to support you in whatever way I can, but please don't treat me like a bank who's obligated to give you whatever money you ask for without getting to have any opinions or any say on what I think about the things that Mm. you do. You think you can just come to me and say, hey, I want to start a business. Give me your money. (laughs) And I don't have the right to ask you any questions to express any curiosity about how you're going to use that money. If I'm making the sacrifices necessary to support you, it's no longer just your dream. It's our dream. And Mm. if it's our dream, 
I at least want to be able to get a question in. Mm. I want to at least have something to say without feeling like I'm the villain. Mm. And I think sometimes in life, we confuse setting boundaries with saying no. But setting boundaries isn't just about refusing to do things that help people. Sometimes setting boundaries is about holding people accountable Mm. to conditions that must be met in order for them to reasonably expect the help that we provide. Hey, I'm okay with doing the dishes, but all the dishes have to go in the sink. And it's each person's responsibility to make sure they put the dishes in the sink. Mm -hmm. If the dishes don't get put in the sink, they don't get done. Hey, I'm okay with doing the laundry, but all the laundry goes right here in this bin. Anyone who wants their their clothes washed, I want them here in this bin. If it's not there, it doesn't get done. Sometimes we commit to doing things for other people, but we don't set any boundaries. And so now Mm -hmm. we're committed to doing things in this unconditional, unqualified sense that treats other people as if they're these completely incompetent wrecks who can't be held responsible for anything. And what I'm hearing from you, Jessica, is that you're doing all of this stuff. You say, I accept the fact that I don't want to control them and that it's not a good thing for me to try to do so, but it always falls on me to clean up after them, to organize it and to tidy it up. And I think there's an opportunity for you to say, I'm happy to organize things. Mm. I'm happy to tidy things. But if you're going to keep things and I make these compromises, I need some expectation from you. Because in a healthy relationship, it's not just about one party holding the other party accountable. It's about both parties having the ability to hold one another accountable. If you're going to clean up after them, mm-hmm. then I think they should be able to consider you in some kind of way. If they want to hang on to these things, maybe there's an opportunity for them to clean it up themselves or be willing to let it go if that's not something they're able or willing to do. And maybe that will show them that they don't love these things as much as they want because to love mm-hmm. something isn't just to want it around. It's the willingness to spend the time and energy necessary to take care of those things. That's a perfect segue yeah. to our next question from Heidi. Hello, my name is Heidi from O'Fallon, Missouri. Uh, Our daughter, who is in her third year of college, moved back home after three years of apartment living. And we have all her stuff in the garage and in the basement and boxes and bags. I'd like to know what is the best way to start with her, going through all of her things to determine what to keep or sell or donate. Well, I think we start with something called the no junk rule. You can download our free minimalist rule book. It's called 16 Rules for Living with Less, but these aren't really rules. We tricked you. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> these are tools or boundaries that Ryan and I came up with throughout the years. And of course, on the private podcast, we come up with new rules all the time. Not that you should implement these rules, but for really mechanical things like this, where it's you're talking about getting rid of clutter, I would start with the no junk rule. Everything you own, including all of this junk or things that you perceive to be junk, everything you own could fit in one of three piles. It's either essential, it's non-essential, but value adding, or it's junk. The first category is essential. Everyone has the same essentials, basically. Food, shelter, clothing. Now, they look different. You know, Ryan wears different clothes from me. His black shirt's different from my black shirt, (laughs) which is the only essential shirt. That's right. Uh, But... (laughs) Uh, Food, clothing, shelter, they all look different for everyone, but the same fundamentals, right? The same sort of foundation. Education, vocation, transportation all looks different for people, but these are essentials for most people. Mm. The non-essentials, these are things that add value to your life, that make life 
more enjoyable. Mm. I don't have to own a couch, but I get value from it. I don't have to own a coffee table, but I enjoy setting my coffee on my coffee table. (laughs) And so I own a coffee table. No problem with that, right? I don't have to have a a bed frame. I could have the mattress on the floor, but I enjoy having the bed frame, the way it looks and the functionality of it. So there are things I could live without, but they add value to my life. Unfortunately, most of the things we own are clutter core. (laughs) They're junk, right? It's all the stuff that actually gets in the way of the things that we can enjoy. And so Mm. I would look at everything and place it in one of three piles and be really, really honest. Because Ryan, Mm. when you used to do mentoring, people Mm -hmm. would tell you that all these things are essential in their home, but there were things they never used. They were like potentially essential. And it's like, that's not even non-essential, but value adding. It's something that is some hypothetical value that Mm. you're not getting from the thing at all. Yeah. And so the thing I'll say to Heidi is that I would do that, but I also have some sort of deadline. A deadline is a type of boundary in a way, right? It creates urgency. And that urgency is necessary for letting go because if you don't have the urgency, you'll still have the anxiety and you'll be stressed out by the things, but you won't ever feel compelled to actually let it go because it's a low level anxiety. And so you'll hold on to those things hoping that maybe one day something will magically happen and you'll let go of those things. But if you set a deadline, you say, at the end of this month, you have 30 days, we're going to sort through this together. I'm going to support you in this, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to do it for you. Man, that's a beautiful place to start. That's good. Yeah. I mean, Heidi, unfortunately, you didn't do this on purpose, but unfortunately, you, you did not set up a boundary with your daughter in the sense of uh, clear, yeah, just clear, clear boundaries. Um, what you did is you were like, you can have the basement and you can have this other room. And that was her boundary. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Josh. Like she's got to find a way to work with her daughter to find some new boundaries. And you know, Heidi, the best way to approach this, and this goes for Jessica as well, for the last question, like instead of going to someone and say, hey, do this for me, find a way to say, do it for us. And, and, and that's how you can enroll someone instead of uh, just saying, here's my problem that I have with you mm. and here's what I need you to do. Uh, it's more about going to them and saying, hey, I really could use your help on something and, and kind of approach it from that aspect because that is going to, um, that's just going to enroll someone a lot more to, to help you than, than kind of telling them what they're doing wrong that you want them to change. Heidi, one thing I love about the spirit of your question is that I can feel you wrestling with it in a way that signals a lot of graciousness that you have towards your daughter because you could just flex your power and authority in this situation. If you are the one who's Mm -hmm. letting her live with you, you could just say, I want this stuff out of here and I want it now. And it's so easy to lead with flexing. But the thing about flexing is once you go that, once you go down that path, Mm. it changes the dynamic of the relationship forever. Mm. You might have the right to flex, but when you exercise that right, boy, does it change things. And so I appreciate that you have resisted that tendency to flex and you're wrestling with it saying, how can I go about this in a way that creates a win for everybody in a way that feels good and doesn't require a fight? What I would suggest is something along the following lines. I use three statements. Number one, here's what I need. Number two, here's the concern I have about what I need. Number three, here's my question for you. Here's what I need. You can say to your daughter something like, I need to feel good about the space that I live in. And it's very important to me that everywhere I'm going, there's not a whole lot of clutter. 
That's what I need. Here's my concern about what I need. I'm worried that my need might impose on you in a way that takes away value from you. I'm worried that my demands on you would cause you to go without the things that you need. Mm. So here's my question for you. What's the best way for the both of us to get what we want? What's the best way for me to meet my need to declutter my home and for you to meet your need of hanging on to the essentials? And if I feel like I need more space or I need you to get rid of some stuff, what's the best way for us to go about that? Now you're putting it all on the table. You're being honest, but you're not antagonizing your daughter. And you're also not taking on the burden of figuring her out for yourself, doing all the thinking for yourself, and you're having her communicate with you. It's usually a lot easier to get people's cooperation when you approach things with that kind of energy behind it. Yeah. And for all the people on YouTube that's going to be like, no, I would just tell her her stuff's got to go. <laughs> I respect the fact that you already know that and that you're choosing to go about this in a way so that you and your daughter can be able to laugh and have a good time after the conversation is over. And I, I respect that approach. Yeah. The flex part is really important because yeah. what you're talking about is setting the same boundary, but doing it differently. Yeah. I have one neighbor who has a really beautiful fence that is, seems very welcoming, but also I've recognized that it's a boundary. I can't just go play in their yard randomly, right? They have a boundary. I have another neighbor that's like two blocks down, block and a half down, and there's literally barbed wire on their fence, and it does <laughs> the same exact thing, but it does it in a flexing way where it's like, here is my daunting boundary. And it communicates something completely different. These people mm. aren't welcoming. They're not loving. And they may not even know that they're communicating it that way. It's simply the way they set it up or they bought the house that way. But that boundary that they have yeah. is doing the opposite yeah. of what the boundary right next door to me is doing. Now I really yeah. want to know what's in their backyard. <laughs> <laughs> My dad used to, uh, he used to call me Doc. He used to say stuff like, hey, Doc, help me out. Can you take out the garbage for me right quick? And him and I both knew that I wouldn't be around today if I ever said, nah, I'm not doing it, right? Yes. Mm. But he never felt the need to flex and go, hey, take that garbage out right mm -hmm. now. He always got a yes. Let's you move know? on to some social yeah. media questions mm. here. We've got one from Facebook. Rudy has a question for us. Can you ever have valuable clutter? <laughs> yeah. That's like a well, trick question. Yeah. <laughs> One man's clutter is another man's fortune, right? And so uh, your clutter that is cluttered to you may be valuable to someone else, but by definition, clutter that gets in the way for you is not valuable to you. Mm. Because if you were getting value from it, you would not feel compelled to cling on to it, cling to it without using it, right? Mm. And so, no, clutter by itself is not valuable, even mm. if that item is valuable in the marketplace. If Ryan gave me a Lamborghini today and he said, you can't do anything with this but continue to own it, it would not be valuable to me at all mm. because I wouldn't use it. I, I have no desire to drive a Lamborghini personally. Yeah. But someone else, if I could sell it, they may say, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to give you $200,000. What a steal for me. Yeah. And so it could be valuable for them, even yeah. if it's not valuable for me. So I don't like making the grand sweeping statements where this thing is junk and no one should own it. Obviously not. It's just not appropriate for me. I think I'd give you 200 grand before I gave you a Lamborghini. <laughs> 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 because I know you so well. <laughs> oh, man. I'll um, hold my breath. Yeah. So I, I actually, 
Um, I don't know. Like some people, they collect things. I'm trying to think like my brother-in-law, there's a, a game called like um, Warhammer and it's like these little miniatures and he yeah. paints them and they look really, really good. And I can look at those and I can appreciate like, oh, wow, like this collection that you have, this is pretty cool. Like I could see where you find value in that. But yeah, to me, it would be it would be absolute clutter. Um, so yeah, I mean, there are people out there with collections and they really enjoy their, their collection of whatever it is. And we're not here to judge and say that, no, that could never be valuable. It's really about like how, how valuable is it to you? Cause certainly any pile of clutter, any hoard is going to have some value. The question is, is d- do you value it more than the space that it would create if you let it go? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. great. Yeah. So Projection is when we take our own thoughts and feelings and we externalize them as coming from other people. Introjection is when we take other people's thoughts and feelings and we internalize them as if they are coming from ourselves. It's very easy to both project and introject with clutter. So for instance, if I see someone else who has an object that I don't need that stresses me out, I project by saying, oh, that's clutter, Mm. but it might be creating value for that person and they might enjoy it. Or if I have things and I know there's someone else out there who has fewer things, uh, I get a little insecure and say, well, they might think it's clutter. And so I introject and then I feel Mm. guilty about the things that are creating value in my life. It's important to step back and say clutter for me may not be the same as clutter for you. It's determined by usefulness. It's determined by the value that it brings to me. The other thing I would say is there's a distinction between actual and hypothetical value that's important for questions like this. Actual value is something that plays an integral role in the plans that I have now. Whereas hypothetical value is this is something that could be valuable if my life were something other than what it actually is. It's just in case disguised in the language of value, right? Mm. And so sometimes when we think about things in terms of like, can you have valuable clutter? It's like, well, all clutter is hypothetically valuable. Mm -hmm. But the question is, is it actually valuable? Do you need it right now? Or is it a burden to your life right now? And you're just hanging on to it because you're telling yourself a story that one day, for reasons you can't anticipate, your life might change and then you'll regret having let go of this thing. Don't let hypothetical value get in the way of your ability to enjoy the actual value that is in the here and now. Ooh, that sounds like a, we can make another minimalist rule with, is it, uh, yeah, is it, is it, is it actual value or is it hypothetical value? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's a great approach. I was listening to Bobby Brown before the show. So <laughs> Josh was like, I think that's where you're getting your maxims from. I was like, yeah, a little <laughs> 80s, 90s R&B. <laughs> There's always something. John B is going to sue us any moment now. <laughs> I got one more rule for you. I was going to do this during the talk aboutable segment, but since we have a second, I call it the let go anyway rule. Mm. Let go of something you want to keep if it makes room for something meaningful. Mm. Something Mm. more meaningful than the thing you would hold on to. I call this the let it go anyway. Like, oh yeah, I get some sort of value from this, the hypothetical value, or maybe I just get a little bit of value from it. But maybe you'd get more value from letting it go. Mm. We call that the let go anyway rule. I love it. We have another question here. This one's from Instagram. Lisa has a question, but before we read her question, it is a comment on a video that we did. So we do this uh, Sunday Symposium event. You can come to the next one, by the way, sundaysymposium.com. We'll have the new date up there really soon. If it's not there already by the time this comes out. 
But we do these live events in Los Angeles, real intimate, limited to 200 seats. And TK was, well, he was waxing philosophical about money and value creation. And we made it into a quick TikTok and Instagram reel video, which we're going to take a look at right now. And then we're going to see someone's comment and let we'll let Ryan and TK respond to this. <laughs> All right. The most dangerous thing about consumerism is that it causes us to overlook the true nature of wealth. Like wealth isn't stuff. Wealth represents the quality of experience that you're willing to give up the stuff to have, right? So $50 isn't wealth. It's the haircut that you're willing to give $50 up for, right? And when we practice this consumeristic approach to life, we start to overlook why we're after those things and we start to miss out on the inner forms of wealth. Like when I think about money from an economic standpoint, money is just a symbolic representation of creative power. Money represents that I have the ability to add value to someone else's life in a way that causes them to give me something that is of value. And money is just a symbol that represents that. And if you, if you turn the symbol into the thing, then it disempowers you because you start to believe things like it takes money to make money. There's so many people who believe that. No, it actually doesn't. What it takes is value creation to make money. And no matter how much money you do or don't have, you always have the capacity to add value to people's lives. And recognizing that is what true wealth is and consumerism redirects our attention away from that. It takes us away from being creators to being people who exist in the state of powerless neediness. And that's a very dangerous thing. It's a self-negating thing. Mm. Preach, T.K. Coleman. That's <laughs> what mm. so Rob Bell would say. Rob Bell said, that preaches. <laughs> that preaches. Now, Lisa had a comment on this video, and I thought it was a really thoughtful comment. I'd yeah. love to get your response to it. What did Lisa say, Alabama? I love the sentiment of this video, but what about the people who are the most valuable, that make the most impact? Teachers, stay-at-home parents, caretakers, nurses. Why don't they get to see the value they give us every day symbolically through their paycheck? Now, TK, it's true that the price tag is not the sole measure of a thing's value when we look at our things. Yeah. I think we could also say that about paychecks, right? That the paycheck is not the sole measure of someone's value. Obviously, your net worth is not your human worth, right? Exactly. Um, imagine if I made the statement that uh, something like a birthday gift is a symbolic representation of someone's appreciation for you. Mm. All right, mm. that works. It mm. makes sense, right? A birthday gift is somebody trying to say in some kind of way, however imperfect, that I'm thinking of you, I want you to feel good on your day, I see you, I recognize you, I'm celebrating your life, and so on. So a birthday gift is a symbolic representation of someone else's appreciation for you. That doesn't mean, however, that all forms of appreciation can be measured in terms of birthday gifts. Mm. It's possible to appreciate a person and never get them a gift at all. Mm. It's possible to appreciate them in, every, in other ways. So when I say that money is a symbolic representation for creating value, I'm not saying that all forms of value can be monetized or that all forms of value can be quantified in economic terms. There is a real distinction between what we might call 
intrinsic value and economic value. Intrinsic value may be the dignity of human life, or maybe if I help an old lady cross the street, that's a real valuable thing. That's a morally valuable thing, or maybe a spiritually valuable thing. If I say, I love you, Josh, that's a valuable thing, right? Mm. But that that's different from economic value. Economic value is determined solely by what someone else is willing to pay me for what I do. So even though I say, I love you, Josh, and that's, that's really valuable, that's truly valuable, and it may be value, more valuable than other things I might do for money, it doesn't become economically valuable until I find a way to do that that someone else is willing to pay me for. So mm-hmm. if I say, hey, Josh, I'll charge you $20 a month and uh, I'll give you five phone calls a month where I tell you that I love you. And he says, yeah, I could use that pick me up. Then it becomes economically <laughs> valuable, right? But Only in the absence- five bucks, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so there are lots of things that we do that are really valuable, but that aren't economically valuable. And that is okay. Economic value does not stand on some um, hierarchical chain that is above everything else. When it comes to this clip, I wasn't giving a comprehensive entrepreneurial lesson on how to optimize profitability. I was making the point about how dangerous it is to buy into this idea that it takes money to make money because although it is true that it is easier to make money if you already have some, it's very self-defeating and disempowering if you believe that if you start with no money, you can't increase your wealth. Because the way that you increase your wealth, even if you don't have any money, is by investing in your skill set. This is why education is so important, because the idea is that you learn things that improve your ability to solve problems for other people, create value for other people. And that is the starting point for making money. Now, if you look at all of the different jobs, everyone who receives a paycheck from MBA players to school teachers to people who get paid a lot to people who don't get paid enough, we all receive that paycheck because we are creating some value for someone. We're solving a problem for someone. But how do you explain the variance in income? How do you explain the fact that there are some people who make millions of dollars to slam dunk a basketball, and then there are some people who seem to do things that are really important or equally as valuable, but they're just striving to get by? Okay, that's kind of a different issue. That's a little bit more complex. There are several things, and we can't cover them all here. But it is possible to create value, economic value, not charge enough, not know what your worth is, be in an industry where you have a lower ceiling, serve customers who are not capable of rewarding you economically as other customers might be, and so on. So for instance, if you work for a nonprofit, you're going to have a lower ceiling financially than if you work for a for-profit and so on. So when it comes to how much money you make in terms of your paycheck, it's based on a few things I'll try to underscore very quickly. Number one, are you solving a problem for someone that's willing to pay you? Number two, are you in an industry where the funding is such that you're capable of getting paid, right? And number three, are you doing something that has a really high cost for replacing you? So for instance, I, you know, I worked a lot as a server and I think being a server is very valuable. And you know what? I had a lot of lawyers, a lot of doctors, a lot of accountants who made way more money than me. And there were some days where I felt like, man, I go through just as much stress as you guys. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. In order to become a lawyer, a doctor, or an accountant, the number of hoops you have to jump through are many. The number of years you have to spend in school are many. And it's very expensive for the people who pay them to find someone else to do it. Whereas when it comes to being a server, 
it's less costly to replace a server than it is an accountant. So that's one of the economic factors that affects the paycheck. But without getting bogged down into all the weeds, which I think I've already done, the point that I want to make here is not all forms of value are economic. And there are people that do things that are absolutely necessary for a good society. But if you're looking to increase your economic value, that means you're looking to get someone to give you a paycheck. And if that's something that you're expecting, then you have to step back and do what I teach a lot of my entrepreneurship students to do, which is you've got to ask yourself, who are the people I want to serve and what do they need to see from me in order to be willing to pay me? And so now you have to think about more than just how good you feel about what you do or how much it matters to you. And you've got to study your customer and figure out, hey, how can I do this at a level that makes you willing to pay me more than that person? By the way, one uncomfortable thing that these kinds of questions point out is that we as a society often don't put our money where our mouth is in terms of value. And I'll tell you, there's a reason why NBA players and professional wrestlers make more than educators. And it's not a pleasing reason. It's not a reason that makes us feel good about our priorities. Mm -hmm. The fact is, when it comes to putting our money where our mouth is, everybody says how much they love teachers. But when it comes to their actual behavior, what they really do with their money, people turn around and spend more money on the NBA. They spend more money on the NFL than they do on education. And that's not the only reason. There are other factors, right? But I'm saying sometimes we don't prioritize what we say we do. And I'm not saying that the questioner is disingenuous. You may value education more than the NBA. I know I do. I spend more money, time, and attention investing in education than I do the NBA. And I love the NBA. But as a society, collectively, there's definitely a lot more money, a lot more demand for a person who can slam dunk a basketball or do a 360 tomahawk jam than there is for someone who can teach your kid math. Is that sad? Maybe so. But I don't make the rules. Yeah. I'm just here to try to make sense of them. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. But yeah, when you look at money spent, yeah. um, a lot of it goes towards entertainment, which again, nothing wrong with that. But yeah, yeah that's a great observation. We got a question from YouTube. David has something for us. I have loads of nice clothes, but I end up wearing my old clothes instead because I'm scared of ruining the new ones. It's always on my mind when I try to put them on and it's starting to impact my mental health. How do I get rid of all the old things and start wearing all the new things without worrying about what happens to them? I'm thinking about fear here because essentially you're afraid of something happening to these new nice clothes, right? And I get that. I've owned something that I put in my closet and I'll try it on and I'm like, ooh, but I don't want to wrinkle it up. <laughs> it's like, well, wait a minute. Fear is merely a byproduct of the ego, mm, right? And mm -hmm. so the ego is what? Telling me a story about the thing. It's telling me to be afraid. Let's talk about what the antidote to fear is real quick. The antidote to fear is joy. And... Joy is one of those things that we, we know it when it's there, but I don't think we really understand it. So let's do an etymology lesson real quick. Uh, the, the Greek word for joy is Cairo, which comes from the root caress, which means gift. Mm. And so in a way, when we are joyous, we're experiencing a gift, a gift of life. Or when we are being joyous, we're also giving a gift to someone else in a way. When we're doing the opposite, we're doing what? We're worrying all the time. Well, to worry is to pray for something bad to happen in the future. 
And that is what David is doing here. And I'm saying this as a worrier. I am a poster child for worry. So I'm not, I'm not standing on some sort of mount preaching this to you. I'm making an observation about worry. Whenever I worry about something, the only thing that I can do that dissipates the worry is to see the absurdity of the worry. And that quite often makes room for joy, which then eliminates the fear that I'm experiencing. I'll give you an example. Recently, we actually had to reschedule this podcast recording because I was trapped in Ojai, California Mm -hmm. during the rains. I was talking to my neighbors. They had been there for, my next door neighbor has lived in that house for 40 years. And the most rain they've ever experienced was on Monday of this week. There were 17 inches of rain at the, uh, in the, the mountains there at, in Ojai. And you could see it was pouring. Our f- streets were flooded. The Ventura River is not usually a river. It is a riverbed. <laughs> but it not only overflowed, but it clogged up the highway. The reason the 101 was closed was because the Ventura River not just exceeded its limit, but, but burst through its limits, mm-hmm. right? And so what happened? Of course, I felt worry. Oh, no. What happens if my house floods? Mm. Okay. Well, then my house floods. It's going to be an inconvenience, right? A giant inconvenience. But do I have insurance? Mm. Yes, I do. And so it's okay to be concerned about these things. The concerns point toward, okay, what caution do I need to have? Well, it mm. makes sense to have flood insurance. Mm. makes sense to have homeowner's insurance. Mm. But if my house were to flood, if my house were to burn down, this also happened about a week ago. I was walking home with Bex and we saw a fire in our neighbor's yard. We didn't know it was our neighbor's yard. I, I thought it was our house at first. Mm. And their barbecue had caught on fire. But I thought, uh-oh, I hope that isn't our house. And mm. I felt worry in the moment. But then I realized, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen here? And so, David, the thing that I see here is I'm going to ask myself, what is the worst thing that could happen? I want to take this to its terminus because what's the worst thing that could happen if you got rid of the old clothes? You wear the new clothes and you don't enjoy them? Okay, say it out loud. Write it down. I might not enjoy my new clothes as much. Okay, I'll take it even farther. What if you got rid of all the new clothes and just kept wearing the old clothes? What's the worst thing that could happen? I'd probably have less clutter and maybe I'd think about the things I let go of. Maybe, but maybe you'd also make some room. What's the worst thing that could happen? If you keep going, okay, maybe I'll miss those clothes. Okay, what's the worst thing that happens then? I don't know. Oh, yeah. There is no worst thing that's going to happen here. And if you take that fear, that worry to its terminus, you'll realize that the thing you've built up in your head is absolutely absurd and you can let it go Mm. because there's nothing to actually be worried about. (laughs) This makes me think about a pair of uh, um, white boots that I bought in high school. Oh, I forget the brand. It doesn't matter. They were the lugs. Yeah, lugs. That's what it was. Yeah, lugs. <laughs> Is that really it? Yeah, yeah they it were. Was, was I was lugs. there. Bright I love white. when you guys remember things for each other. Like <laughs> yeah, <that. right>. Bright <laughs> white lugs. I remember and these. I remember the first day of school, I'm like sporting these and my buddy comes up to me. He's like, how did you get the coolest shoes in school, man? I'm like, yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. But, you know, being the messy minimalist that I am, um, (laughs) I dirtied them pretty quickly. And it got to a point where I'm like, oh, wow, I can't wear these as much as I want to because I'm going to dirty them. 
And uh, I found myself kind of getting stuck in this cycle that da- that uh, David's in. And what I finally accepted was, is like, I am not responsible enough to have white shoes. And that's okay. I'm willing to accept that. Um, I'm not, I don't take care of them well enough. So um, yeah, I, I wore them um, as much as I could until, you know, finally they were just, I mean, you know how white shoes get. And I got rid of them and I never bought white shoes again because I learned my lesson my <laughs> sophomore year of high school <laughs> in Lebanon, Ohio. But, but David, these new clothes that you have, they're going to be old clothes soon. I mean, soon enough, they'll be old clothes. So wear them while they're new. Um, You know, I I think clutter is a concept that uh, not only applies to things that are useless, but it also applies to things that are useful in a way that distracts from the life we really want to live. Imagine if I'm addicted to a video game and, you know, I play this video game 12 hours a day. And every time I look up, I think, oh, no, that's not what I wanted to do with my time. That video game was useful. I'm using it. But it's getting in the way mm. of what I really want to do with my time. And so it's not about labels like, is it useful or is it useless? It's about the experience of meaning. It's about that adventure of being alive. And someone else may be able to point to my experience and say, well, that's a useless thing. You should get rid of it. But maybe it creates value for me. Or someone may look at something else in my life and say, oh, that's very pragmatic. Everyone has one of those. Keep it around. But maybe it gets in the way of what I want. And for me, it becomes clutter. You don't want a life that you can justify by appealing to fancy labels. You want the experience Mm. of meaning. And so whether you call it clutter or someone else calls it clutter, just strip all that away and say, man, am I doing what I want to do with my time and with my energy? Am I experiencing the life that I want to live? Am I wearing what I want to wear? Or is this stuff simply getting in the way? Mm. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions from TikTok. Yes, indeed. You can follow The Minimalist on TikTok. Also, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. At The Minimalist is our handle. Now, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan, TK, and I do our best within 60 seconds to answer your questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes over at theminimalists.com slash podcast. So you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. It looks like Chris has a question for us. Which of your past objects in the added value segments have since become clutter? Mm. Ryan, you want 60 seconds? Yeah, I will. uh, Yeah, I'll go. All right. All right, Professor Sean, go for it. All right. Here's my here's my pithy answer. Um, After taking an inventory of all the things you've minimized, you can minimize that list, too. Oh, so, I love it. So here's the thing is, you know, we have this obsession with holding lists, not just with our things, but with people, with our wins, with our losses. I don't know why we're so obsessed with lists, but we are. But here's the thing. Holding a list doesn't really do much for you. There's probably somewhere out there where, you know, having a list of whatever inventory, if you've got a business or whatever it is. But the worst thing we can do is sit here and hold a list on ourselves for the things or the mistakes that we have made. Mm. So, um, yeah, I have no idea, uh, you know, what what past objects um, that were in an added value segment that I uh, let go of or I had to donate because I don't hold lists. Yeah, you're not making an inventory of the things that used to add value to your life that you've let go of. Yeah. Mm. Let's get 60 seconds on the mm. clock for TK Coleman. Tacoa mm. LaPrince Coleman, TLC. <laughs> what do you got for us? If it gets in the way, it's clutter. What is the way? The way you want to feel? 
the way you want to think, the way you want to show up for the people that you love. Duke Ellington said, it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. The way is what gets you into your groove. The way is when you dance to the rhythms of your true self. The way is when you bang to the beat of your own drum. And anything that screws that up, no matter what anybody else thinks of it, it's clutter for you. And life is measured in terms of the moments that you spend in the way that you want to live. And anything that gets in the way, to even be focused on it, to even be preoccupied with it, to even be obsessed with it, to even quantify your life in terms of how many of those things you're got, you've gotten rid of or want to get rid of, it's all a distraction. Not only is the stuff a form of clutter, but so is a preoccupation with a stuff. So is a you know determination to always count the, the number of things that we have. That too is a form of clutter. The way is just being free and living your life without counting, without quantifying. For TK, we, we have the 27-second shot clock. <laughs> I'm sorry, TK. Um, that was 10 seconds over. Um, you'll have to do it again. <laughs> uh, one dollar, Bob. <laughs> Take two. Yeah. All right. Well, well I, I, usually, he, usually uh, Josh goes first, and mm-hmm. he has like an extra 20 seconds that he can give me. Never. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Because I'm so pithy. You're right. So, yeah, and when right. you chose Ryan first, I, I knew I was screwed. Well, I had, a, no, I had an extra 20 seconds, too, but Josh took it. <laughs> Minimalism. Yeah. <laughs> I've got something pithy for you. But before we do, I, I just want to echo both of, of your points here. And I'll, I'll actually answer the question head on as well, because I think it will be valuable to, to Chris. But give me 60 seconds and then we'll talk about this. Here's my pithy thing. Question everything. Because the things that add value today might become clutter tomorrow. And I think that's important. We have an added value segment on the podcast because we highlight things that add value to our lives. It could be my belt. It could be a song. It could be a book. It could be a poem. Here is something that is adding value to my life. But if it stops adding value, I'm going to stop holding on to it. I hold all of these things loosely because... If I don't hold on to them loosely, what happens? I cling to it. And the more I cling, mm-hmm. I start clinging to this, I cling to that, I cling to this other thing. It really weighs me down. And when I feel so weighed down, the only thing to do is not to cling more tightly. It's to simply let go. That's my pithy thing for you. Just in time. I will say one thing that I've recommended in the past as an added value item was, and I just was reminded by the, uh, by Professor Sean about this, I have something called a so right. Do you, do, you, do you ever have one of those? No. So my psoas gets really tight. My psoas muscle gets tight. Oh, it's like a, and it digs into the, okay. Yeah. And yeah. so I used to use it all the time, but then I found some, I found a Goscu therapy and I started doing a Goscu therapy and the thing that added value to my life, that so right, which I've talked about on this podcast at some point mm-hmm. before, it stopped adding value. I stopped using yeah. it. And so when I stopped using it, I let it go so someone else could get value from it. Because if I cling to it, what happens? I stop getting value from it. And I also limit, I prohibit everyone else from being able to get value from it as well. Hey, brother, stop advertising. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually, I've got a, uh, someone who works in the advertising industry wrote in to us to say they're unsubscribing from our podcast because we say advertisements suck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to talk about that during the sucky ad segment on the yeah. private podcast. Let's check in with our Patreon live stream in a moment. But first, real quick, 
for right here, right now. Here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. You all probably know we have this nice little side project. It's called minimalism.com. It's called Minimalism Life is, is the name of the side project. Back in 2016, the minimalists teamed up with Minimalissimo, Carl over there, and Alberto over at Five Style to bring you the best of minimalist design, travel, and intentional living, minimalist well-being. And we have a team of minimalist writers as well who write over there at minimalism.com. And uh, we're looking for some new writers. So if you're an aspiring writer or you're a writer who's written, great. Our side project is looking for new writers to share your minimalism stories. You can get involved and contribute to our weekly journal over at minimalism.com. Once you go over there, you just click the Get Involved tab and you'll find all the details. And who knows, if uh, you write something that is really that really resonates with the audience, by the way, it's hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. who read uh, over there at the Minimalism Life blog and the weekly journal that comes out. Yeah. If people find value in it, you could also participate in the Minimalism Life podcast, which has become my new favorite little micro podcast. It's like three to five minutes. The first five or six episodes are out now. I think the first four episodes are out right now. And uh, you can find those as well at minimalism.com. You know how many requests we get for uh, guest essays? Mm. I mean, I get emails all the time. Uh, if you email our, our, uh, the email we have on our website, it's, hey, I'm so-and-so, would love to have a guest, or I'd love to, to be a, a, a guest on your blog. Can I write an essay for you? This is a great opportunity for people who are trying to do that. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. minimalism.com. Alabama, let's check in with the live stream. What do you got for us? We have a question here from Angel. She says, I heard you mention occasionally that you do someone else's podcast. Any chance that you have a directory for podcasts that you've done? Yes, we do. Uh, com slash media. You can find, we've done over 700 media interviews over the wow. last 12 years. Now, wow, yeah. the that reason being is one year we did 400 uh, in 2014. Yeah. We did 400 interviews, and that's while we were on the road. We did those 119 events, and we did a long book tour with our second book, Everything That Remains. Mm-hmm. And so we've done 700 interviews, and you can find all of them over at theminimalists.com slash media. Let's do one more question, Alabama. Here's a question from Andrea. She says, I struggle with wanting to remodel my space. We can't afford what I want to do, so I keep filling the void with new furniture to refresh my space. Any thoughts on accepting an imperfect space? Oh, yes. So every space will always be imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. You are already perfect. You're born perfect. No one looks at a baby and says, oh my God, we need to perfect this baby. We need to improve this baby. Here's a self-help book for your baby. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, that to me. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how I wish my mom would have got me ear reduction surgery when I was a baby. But anyway. <laughs> And yet we are constantly obsessed with improving our space. Why? Because we feel incomplete inside us. And one of the reasons we feel so incomplete is because marketers, advertisers, major corporations do a great job of making us feel inadequate. And when the way they do that is by saying, hey, you have a problem. You didn't know you have a problem, but we have a solution for you, right? And so selling solutions is actually part of the problem. And so I I try not to have solutions on this podcast. I have mm. observations and, and some insights, recipes that may or may not work for you. 
It depended on where you are in your life. I will say this during the the private podcast later, we we do every week we do a minimalist home tour. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about clutter core this week. And we're gonna dive deep into the clutter core movement and this design trend. But then I'm also gonna show you a part of my home that is filled with beautiful objects, but not just my home. I'm gonna show you Axel Vavort's home, who's my favorite interior designer. Spoiler alert, he's a maximalist. (laughs) My favorite interior designer is a maximalist and really Mm. enjoys beautiful objects. However, it's the opposite of clutter core. Mm. Here's one thing that I do, and and I'll, I'll answer Andrea's question with this. The one thing that I do regularly with the objects in my house, I move them around constantly. So it's the same stuff. Yeah but in different areas. We learned this from Bobby. We had Bobby on from Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. He was on the podcast. We did a whole episode about interior design. And I learned this from him. It's like, I have things that I think are beautiful and useful and they add aesthetic value to my home. But the way that I keep it fresh is I'm gonna move this vase to this part of the house. I'm gonna move this from the living room to the shelf in the hallway. Yeah. And by doing that, I keep the same things, but the space is constantly refreshed. Yeah. Every month I'm moving the things around. The one thing that this isn't a judgment, Andrea, it's just an observation about you can't afford to remodel the place that the room that you want to remodel. So you buy new furniture to to put in this new room. So, again, this Mm. isn't a judgment, but it's almost like when I, you know, I see someone who is trying to like really get a hold of their finances, they buy all of these uh, finance books. <laughs> yes. And you can't spend your way out of, out of, uh, out of financial debt, just the same as you can't spend your way out of, um, not being able to uh, afford to remodel that room. So again, this isn't a judgment, but yeah, you might have to just kind of rearrange some things right now. Mm. Every time you want to buy a new piece of furniture, put that in the, the remodeling fund. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I used to have bad luck with computers and it's the strangest thing. Every time I would go to an airport, um, something would happen. One time my computer is on the, the, the security belt and the guy stops me because he wants to check me out. And I can see my computer like at the edge, somebody else's luggage is pushing it over and it's going to fall. And I'm like, my computer, my computer's like, sir, sir, stand down, stand right here, sir. <laughs> and I watched my computer fall oh. and just like, and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? There was another time where some guy just like puts the wrong computer in his back and it's mine. Mm. And like, you know, I'm working with the airport to try to catch this guy. This would happen to me at least once a year. One of my friends said to me, he goes, you know, I don't know why, but this is clearly part of your vibration or your destiny or something. Like, you're just that guy. He's like, what if you leaned into it? What if you just made up your mind that every year you're just going to get a new computer and that's going to be your thing? (laughs) Stop resisting it. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to stop resisting it. Once a year, I'm just going to get a new computer, whether something (laughs) happens or not, right? Nothing ever happened to my computers (laughs) after that. (laughs) Just a mental trick, right? So sometimes the solution is to lean in. So you can ask yourself, why can't I just be happy with the way things are? Well, why can't I just be happy with liking to switch things up Mm. every once in a while? You know, there's room to perhaps double down and say, hey, I do this anyway. Is there a way for me to make peace with it? Can I just say, hey, every six months or every year, I'm going to rearrange things and move things around because I'm not the type of person who's cool with it always being the same. I like to mix it up. So maybe there's room to make peace with what your behavior is showing you about what you truly enjoy. Mm, man, mm. TSA PreCheck is way, way less expensive than buying a new computer every year. <laughs> <laughs> you can just leave your computer in the bag and send it through. Look anyway, at that. Yeah. I, I needed you uh, four or five years ago. <laughs> I think the thing to remember here for Andrea is peace 
cannot be acquired. Happiness cannot be acquired. Tranquility cannot be acquired. Yes, you can buy new furniture for your home. You can buy new clothes for your body. You can buy a new car to take you to work. You can buy a new home. You can get a new apartment outfitted with all new things. You can buy beautiful objects that add some sort of aesthetic value to your living space, but you'll never be able to purchase happiness. And that's what we're trying to do quite often. We're going to buy this thing. It's going to give me a sense of purpose or meaning or joy. Nope. Those things will only cover up the peace, the joy, the eudaimonia Hmm. that is already there within you. Alabama will check back in with the live stream on the private podcast. But in the meantime, what else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, Josh and Ryan. It's Connor from Toronto. I'm 17 and I'm out finishing grade 11 right now. So exams are coming up and my mental clutter is coming to all-time high right now. So I use something to help me focus on studying and writing that I recently started using. And it's an app called Pomodoro Timer. So that's P-O-M-O-D-O-R-O. It's a really simple timer app. And it's based on a kitchen timer that uses a productivity practice called the Pomodoro Technique. It's a time management method that's used to break down work into intervals, traditionally 25 minutes of concentrated work separated by short five-minute breaks. So after a number of cycles, you reward yourself with a long break that's usually 15 minutes. And on the app, you can adjust the duration of the work sessions and breaks. You can set daily targets and you can even catalog your progress over time. So I found it that over time, I've been working more productively and getting more out of my study sessions. And I hope you can find value in that too. Thanks. Hi, my name is Natalie. I'm from Cochrane, Ontario. I would like to share how I limit my shopping on Amazon. I only pay with gift cards when shopping online. So once I have added the items to my cart, I then have to buy a gift card at the store and apply it to my account before finalizing my purchases. This makes buying online less convenient and it allows me to think before I buy. If it is not worth my time going to a store and buying a gift card, then I probably don't need the items in my cart. Welcome back to the Minimalist Private Podcast. We're talking about clutter core today for our more about less segment. I've got this article from parents.com and it's called clutter core hmm. <laughs> is the trend many parents need right now. I really wish we had a song to go with it. <laughs> clutter core. <laughs> All right, sorry. It sounds like you need to be like for 1995. <laughs> Yeah. Parts <laughs> sold separately. So if you're watching the video version, we'll put a link to this article in the show notes, by the way. If you're watching the video version, not the live stream, but the edited version, I'm going to put the first picture here from the top of the article, or actually Jordan will put it here right above my left shoulder. This article is called Clutter Core is the Trend Many Parents Need Right Now. Hmm. And the article goes like this. In Roxy Strickland's living room, the decor is, stratis- is stratified. Home accessories that tickle the grown-up's fancy live up top. The kid's stuff is lower to the ground. Adult visitors can lock eyes uneasily with a Westworld character who, in a framed poster, has flesh falling away from its robotic skeleton. Pinhead 
the prickly face character from the Hellraiser franchise, shares the same upper shelf space with Superman and a motley crew of other figurines. Below their vivarium, where a Chinese water dragon named Lovely lives, Teletubbies stand guard next to a Buzz Lightyear toy poised to take flight. The Los Angeles home is loaded with memorabilia, with memorabilia and collectibles that reflect the Strickland's family's passion for horror and science fiction TV shows and movies. Their piece de resistance is their DVD collection, a library filled with shelves of neatly arranged discs that evoke the Gen X feels of a good old video store. The home Strickland and her husband, Lon, built together with their two school-age children is a love letter to the media and entertainment industry. They've always curated their space this way, surrounded by all the things they love proudly on display. Dude, that description is like, um, it could be a hoarder's house. Oh, wait a minute. And isn't it funny, though, how like the it's the perspective is, you know, is really what matters here. But yeah, I mean, if I was to read that without any context, um, it could be describing a hoarder's house. In fact, the next line is now their style has a name. I would call it hoarding. Ryan (laughs) would call it hoarding. But no, let's dress up the hoarding. Let's take our pile of trash and not call it trash. Let's not call it hoarding. Let's not call it clinging. Let's call it cluttercore. Dude, I don't know why they didn't do hordecore. That would have been so much better. Hordecore would have been so Uh, much better. I I would almost buy into it at that point, but too late now. (laughs) Because here's the thing. We use the word hoard. Mm-hmm. pejoratively and we look at a hoarder and we know that that is what it's a type of mental illness literally mm-hmm. ryan and i did a whole episode about hoarders we'll put a link to that episode it's a private podcast episode in the show notes where we really dive deep into hoarding mm-hmm. and the five mm-hmm. stages of hoarding and what ryan and i realized to our own surprise is uh-oh, we were stage two or sometimes even stage three hoarders. Yeah. What is what is the one where it's light amount of clutter in, in different rooms? That's just stage one. Stage one, hoarding. Stage just, one is multiple okay, so rooms. the lower the light. level, the better. Well, there's well, no better. There's, there's no worse. There's yeah. more hoarding is stage five. Yeah. Okay. And the then least amount of hoarding one. is stage one. Yeah. Yes. The beginning stage, yeah. Yeah. So um, stage one is light amount of clutter in several rooms. Yes. So if yeah. you have a stack of papers here and a, and a stack of clothes in this other room, yeah. that's that is technically stage one hoarding, which yeah. is it's crazy. Yeah, and so most people, you know, the the stat is that roughly five percent of Americans are hoarders. But if you go by, if you actually look at stage one hoarding, one might say ninety five percent of people yeah. have some level of hoarding. Now, I want to make a distinction here, and I think. Clutter core is actually the perfect word here because clutter just means, as TK illustrated uh, during the lightning round, if it gets in the way, it's clutter. And so we could call this not clutter core, but get in the way core. We could call this hardcore getting in the way. Mm. Return to text here. Clutter mm. core, like other monikers with the core suffix, is an aesthetic trend born out of social media. 
On TikTok, the ClutterCore hashtag has been used more than 80 million times alongside videos of highly curated, totally disagree with that, rooms dominated with tchotchkes, plants, and yes, posters. The design trend gives a name to a childlike aesthetic most parents already have in their homes. The gorgeous chaos of... There's some editorializing there. By the way, this is beautifully written. It really is. Uh, shout out to the writer. Let me give them, because I want to recognize uh, Linda Lynn Grigsby. Yeah. Bravo with great, this. Great writing. The design trend gives a name to the childlike aesthetic most parents already have in their homes. The gorgeous chaos of trinkets, bits, and babbles, like the pages of an I Spy book, come to life. Cluttercore is the celebration of things. No, it's not. Mm. Cluttercore is not the celebration of things. In fact, I want to take a break from the article to introduce a video to you. My favorite interior designer, he's a designer. He is obsessed with beautiful art and objects. His name is Axel Vavort, and he's a maximalist. Now, I'm really into minimalism, not just minimalist lifestyle, but minimalist literature like Raymond Carver or Laurie Moore or minimalist art like Donald mm -hmm. Judd or uh, other minimalist artists, uh, minimalist architects like Ando, for example. Mm. But Axel Vavort has a grip of objects and design that actually is a celebration of things. So Cluttercore is not a celebration of things. It is a clinging of things. Curated tchotchkes. That's, there's something about that that just doesn't sound right. Yeah, the oxymoron right. there, right? Yeah. It's like saying curated clinging in a way. Yeah. So yeah. we have a video for you here. This is about a four or five minute video from Axel Vavort. We'll take a look at this. If you're watching the video version of the podcast, if you're listening to the audio version, don't worry. You'll be able to hear what he's saying, and then we will give some commentary throughout the video or after the video as well. The older you get, the more you understand things. And through learning the old pieces, understand forgotten things and create values that are hidden in those past things that could be reused for the future. The video says living My art. My name is Axel Vervoort. I started very young with this passion of living with beautiful things and loving art and lovely objects. I think I was very small, seven, eight, nine already, when I started collecting little stones and little objects I found. Pause it. So what we have so far is you see a home with an actual curation. Yeah. Someone who looks at objects with reverence. Now, the way that Axel Vavort does this, and by the way, we'll put a link to this video in, in the show notes if you want to go and watch the entire video yourself. The way that he does this is he eliminates everything that doesn't add beauty or value to the home that he's in. Mm. You can keep the video going. When you're very young and you start collecting rocks is because you just like it. You don't even realize why you like it, but I personally think is rediscovering yourself in it. Pause it. My the favorite thing so far is that wooden floor that he had. That was... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was pretty beautiful. Anyway. Yeah, he even when you look at the old space, what he does with walls and color, and even this this picture you you see here, or this art on the wall, this shouldn't go together. It's this chaotic red painting over top of a rust orange wall, but it works. Mm. And it works because he tests things out and he figures out what does and doesn't work in the space. And he's intentional about every aspect of it. Dude, so, that, that painting reminds me of, did you, did you hear about the woman who was selling her five-year-old's paintings? No. Yeah, like it was basically her five-year-old was painting things like this. And um, yeah, like she, her style, which mm. was her kid's style, mm -hmm. became really popular. And like she delivered the punchline, like, you know, eventually. Um, but yeah, that's that's what that painting looks like to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know what reminds me? He reminds me of our good friend Beulah, who designed our studio space. She mm. did the interior design. It's the reason the carpet and the couch and the sound panels look beautiful in here. She is the minimalist version of Axel Vavort, or mm. he is the maximalist version of Beulah. The commonality between the two of them, he might have a whole lot more items, mm. but he has no clutter. And that is, I think, the key. Let's keep playing the video here. My wife and I, we have very much the same taste. You see in his eyes the way he reacts, that he likes it. And when he does not like something, I know immediately. I always like to mix antique art and contemporary art, discovering what was timeless, what was universal. And I think this dialogue between old and new has been a very important theme in my life. And also in restoring old buildings, like this old castle. We fell totally in love with this fantastic castle, which is very, very old. It already was existed before 1108. <laughs> wow. I think living with art is not like going to visit a museum. It's a different feeling. It's a different thing. I think you live with art like you have friends in your home. At the end, you almost start resembling them. So it's very important that the art you live with is something that's a little part of yourself or you can learn from it. They're, they're like your teachers. Pause it. What's he talking about here? Why is this different from Cluttercore? Because he clearly has a lot of books. He has a lot of objects on display. How is this different from this new Cluttercore trend? Mm. Well, he talks about the art in his home. And art is not just a piece of artwork on the wall. It's any object that you might have. A paperweight can be a piece of art, right? Yeah. Talks about living with these things. It's different from just going to visit them in a museum. Actually, possessing them means what? You have to take care of those things. You have to think about those things. So, if they're not amplifying your life in some way, they're causing that mental clutter. He doesn't have any clutter because it's amplifying his life. But when we do the opposite, when we hold on to things, and because we're so afraid to let go of them, we say, I'm going to give it a new name. Instead of calling this hoarding, I'm going to call it clutter core. And that's going to make it okay. No, it's not going to make it okay because it's not going to get rid of that mental clutter, that emotional clutter, that spiritual clutter that's taking up space in your home. Mm. It's interesting how so far I haven't seen a certain co collection of things. 
like there are, you know, he's got art, he has different, uh, you know, rocks and uh, some statues and whatever it is. But he's, it's not like he has this one thing, like he doesn't have a bunch of modeled airplanes, for example, like I don't see an actual collection of, of anything. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Where with the, the um, clutter core, I noticed like the picture we showed, it was like this collection of sneakers, this collection of these certain dolls. It was like, yeah, displaying all these collections where with yes. him, it's, it seems more chaotic, but it is um, just, an, it's interesting how it is more chaotic in the sense it's different things, but um, it is, uh, it's pleasing. Like it's, uh, yeah. It, and that's why it doesn't seem chaotic to me. So, mm -hmm. so the antidote to chaos is calm, right? Mm -hmm. his space seems calming to me, even though I wouldn't want to own these things personally, but I go into a space like that and I would have a reverence for it the same way I would for a museum. If we go into the Picasso room over at LACMA, I don't feel compelled to bring all those things home with me, mm -hmm. but I can have a reverence for that mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's the... I think that's the difference when we look at a home like his. We'll put a link to this video in the show notes so you can see the entire thing. You can see all of the beautiful objects. In a little bit, we'll review some objects in my own home. I'm certainly not Axel Vavort, but I do have a reverence for objects that add aesthetic beauty to our home as well. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to get back to this article here because I think it's important to make that distinction. I wanted to show you someone who... Minimalism isn't about getting rid of everything and then owning nothing, mm -hmm. right? It's about being intentional with the items we have. But if you hold on to everything, it's impossible to be intentional with everything that is getting in the way. Yeah. Hey, you know, in football, how they throw down a flag, that means we, you know, we're going to come back to this moment. I want to throw down a conversational flag right here. Because at this point, I think I'm ready to defend clutter core. Clutter core. Clutter core. Okay. All right. Mm. All right. Return to text. <laughs> After hearing about clutter core on, where else? Social media. Strickland a director of inventory for a motion picture and television prop house felt a rush of relief. I felt both seen and accepted, she said. I didn't know someone had come up with a name for a way of uh, keeping my house. Hmm. Next section is called Kids Are the Purveyors of Cluttercore. Cluttercore is new by name only. The collection and display of sentimental things is always trending with kids. Collecting knickknacks like rocks and sticks and making grown-ups hold them until pockets overflow is developmentally appropriate type of play and a healthy way for kids to develop relationships with objects and themselves, says Sandra Espinoza, an associate professor at Alliant International University and Los Angeles-based licensed marriage and family therapist. Well, I don't want to take my family to her... I'm ready for your defense at this point because <laughs> here's what I'll say. We have to be careful with clutter core with our kids, especially because the article's right. And this author is a brilliant article, very well written. Our kids will collect a bunch of things <clears throat> that we don't want them to collect. Mm. Why don't we want them to collect it? Well, there's one of two reasons that I can think of. One is it's not my preference. Oh, that's ugly, so get rid of it. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's actually developmentally inappropriate to let them to hold on to everything. Mm. Ella will go to the beach and she'll pick 
several dozen rocks. And she'll try to do that. Hey, can you put this in your pocket? Can you hold this for me? No, <laughs> you're responsible for the things you pick up. Yeah, Everything you pick up, you can choose to hold on to. If it's weighing you down, though, you can also choose to set it down. Mm. If it's getting in the way, and what a beautiful way to show Ella that you're holding on to something that is preventing you from doing the play you actually want to do. Mm. But if I take on that burden for you, what happens? You don't learn that lesson mm. at all. In fact, the lesson you learn is, oh, I don't have to worry. He'll just bail me out every single time. That Anytime the weight gets too heavy, I got someone to take care of that for me. Mm. And now some parents might say, yeah, but what about our kids? I, I don't want them to have nothing. Neither do I. You go into my daughter's room, she has some rocks and shells, but I have to set up boundaries that are appropriate for her. There are some things that are inappropriate. And it's easy to illustrate that. If she started bringing dead lizards into her room, I'm not going to let her hold on to those because it's completely inappropriate. Now you might say, but Josh, no one's going to let their kid bring dead lizards into the room. Okay, fine. I'm not going to let her bring piles of sand into her bedroom either. Mm. Mm. She plays with sand all the time. Every time we go to the beach, she'll make sand castles and mountains out of sand. She'll bury herself in sand. She'll bury Ryan in sand. <laughs> and when she does that, she finds value in it. It's appropriate to play with sand at the beach. Yeah. It's totally inappropriate for her to cling to it, to put it in our car and bring it home with us. And I have to set those same boundaries with seashells, with toys, with figurines, with dolls, with posters, with those little glow-in-the-dark stars mm. that go on her ceiling. Nothing wrong with those things, but it's inappropriate to have everything, to hold on to everything. Clutter core is inappropriate for our children. Mm. We 100% agree, at least on that first part, and I think this is a very important agreement to underscore People behave differently when they have to bear the cost in part or in full of their own choices. Anytime we give our children, for instance, the freedom to make choices, but we go out of our way to insulate them from all of the consequences involved with their choices, we don't teach them how to be critical thinkers. We don't teach them how to be decisive. We teach them how to feel entitled to a bailout when things mm. don't go the way they wanted it to go. Mm. And that's very harmful. We agree there. At the same time, when it comes to this clutter core stuff, I'm, I'm a little concerned that we're starting to sound like each generation when it criticizes the current generation's music, right? So, mm. you know, back in my day, we had Elvis Presley and B.B. King, and now all this rock and roll just sounds like a bunch of musicians playing a different song at the same time. <laughs> and then the people who grew up on rock and roll. Back in my day, we had good pure music, just rock and roll, right? Mm -hmm. And all this hip hop just sounds like a bunch of noise. Right? Mm -hmm. And then the people who grew up on hip hop, you know, back in my day, people used their real voices. Now it's just auto tunes and computerized voices. Who's the guy singing? They all sound the same. Every generation thinks that their art was pure, even though it was rejected as radical by the previous generation and the current generation is losing a sense of the aesthetic, even though they were accused of the same thing. And it's like, you know, minimalism begins with intentionality. It begins with the decision to think about things in terms of, hey, what role do they play in our lives? What do we do with these things? And I think there's something cool about people saying, look, I got all this clutter. It's making me feel overwhelmed, but I'm not ready to let it go. Instead of just ignoring it or sweeping it under the rug, I'm at least going to put my aesthetic sense to use and try to assemble this in a way 
that is pleasing for others to look at, in a way that offers me greater utility, in a way that's at least cool. I think there's something right about that. Even if that's not the final stopping point, I think that's a great first step. It's kind of like when mom walks into the room and says, look, if you're going to have all these comic books, they can't just be all over the floor, hanging over the shower, in the sink, like clean it up. And you take all those comic books and you put them into a neat stack. It's like, hey, that's that's a level up. Hmm. That that's, indis- that's distinguishable from just having them all over the place. Like that's an expression of intentionality and order. Now, can hmm. we go further than that? Let's have a conversation about that. But there's something about this that I that I kind of like, that I think is cool. And I like what the guy in the video was doing too. And that had a, he was working with less stuff, but I don't know, man, I think there's something cool about this. Mm. I don't like or dislike it. It's, it's, it's a preference thing is the way that I look at it. But I'm kind of having this thought about, again, going to the picture that we showed um, for, to represent that represented clutter core. Mm-hmm. So she had a collection of sneakers. She had a collection of... I Jordan forget, can put that back up on the screen, by the way. That first clutter core picture. I forgot what the... Um, they were Pop Funko dolls. Thank you very much. Yeah, Funko dolls. But here's the thing is that what I'm realizing with comic books, um, any type of collection, it's actually not that intentional. And the reason being is, is because when you're, when you're trying to collect a complete set you are at that point being a completionist. Yes. And you are bringing in things that you wouldn't have necessarily brought in if it wasn't for it completing the collection. Mm. So it's it's intentional in the sense that, like in this in this picture, it's intentional that, yeah, she has sneakers, she has phone code dolls, but it's unintentional in the sense of if she's just collecting to collect to complete a set, that's not, it's not as intentional as um, as I thought. Like even going into like this segment, um, mm-hmm. I would think that collections are oh, it's okay. Like you are curating a collection, and you like this one thing, but um, but mm. the more I look at it, it seems less and less intentional to me. I love mm. what you said about Axel Vavort. You said it doesn't look like he has a collection. There's not a bunch of model airplanes or Funko dolls or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you look at it in total, the whole thing is like the Axel Vavort collection because. He, what he did, he's, he doesn't have a particular collection, but everything together makes up this intentional use of space mm. that increases his well-being. When I see the clutter core photos, I don't see increased well-being. And here's my response to TK with what TK was saying about the, well, if I'm going to have these items, I might as well display them. No, here's the problem with that. It is hiding the pain. It's palliative care, right? It's masking the symptoms, the symptoms that are causing the anxiety. And so, you know, if you tell me the person in this picture doesn't have anxiety, they don't have stress, they don't have worry, they don't have discontent, they're at a life of peace all the time, and these things only increase her peace, so be it. Hmm. Do you think that's the case? Of course not. And the reason it's not the case is because what you're doing is you're putting an analgesic on the mm. pain. Oh, you know what? This clutter is really painful. How do, I, how do I deal with the pain? Well, I'll just display the items. It's not about eliminating the pain because, by the way, eliminating the clutter would eliminate that anxiety that you feel that's related to the clutter. But now what you're doing is you're simply dampening it. And over a long enough time span, I know this because I have an autoimmune disease, right? And 
I've tried a lot of things to dampen the pain, but that quite often exacerbates the pain long-term. And so I think we want to confront the pain. If we want to eliminate the clutter-related anxiety, it's not about displaying it in a better way. It's about simply getting rid of the clutter. Hmm. I will say this. Jordan's got something for us. Yeah, I wanted to point out uh, in this image, now that we have it back up on the screen, the carpet, there's a little rug underneath her that says, there is nothing here worth dying for. Mm. I thought that was a nice little tidbit of the image Mm. that I don't think anyone noticed. (laughs) Yeah, except we're often dying inside. Mm. We're dying because we are not willing to let go. We're not living because we're clinging. Now, I will say this. I don't think that having a bookshelf full of books. Yeah, I saw Professor Sean's bookshelf recently, and he has a lot of books. He built these bookshelves. He has a lot of books. I don't think that's clutter core. Mm-hmm. Or what Jordan wants to do with his new home is he wants to have all these framed pictures are all against the wall that's intentionally placed. Now, I wouldn't do that personally. I don't like hanging things on the wall personally. I prefer objects to, to art on the wall or photos on the wall but I don't think that's clutter core either because what it's doing is it's curating photos in a way. The clutter core is taking all of the excess that you have and trying to find a way to display the excess to prove to people there's nothing wrong with the excess. Mm. That's the difference. Mm. But I, I, I think that's an assumption. Let's wrap this up, by the way. I, I think that's an assumption. And, and the question remains open for me. Like, do, do they really feel that anxiety? Maybe someone brings it together in a way and they feel like, oh, wow, I can't believe I did all that with my junk. That looks so sweet. That looks so amazing. Anyway, we could go on but, forever but, about it. But that's what matters. It's like, what is yeah. it's to the eye of the beholder? I want to talk about, what, did you, what, what was it, analgesic? Mm-hmm. What, well, okay. Yeah, icy hot. Uh, okay, okay. Wait, gotcha. what? He, he used <laughs> the word analgesic and I'm oh. like, oh. It's, it's uh, you know, I think every podcast Josh probably introduces a, a new word to my uh, vocabulary. <laughs> He's trying to subconsciously educate us without us right, knowing exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> well, let's move on to talk aboutables. Last episode, we were talking about things that are overrated. And I wanted to talk about one more thing hmm. that's overrated. Instagram and TikTok are overrated. <laughs> They are clutter. They're part of the clutter core pandemic that we're going through right now because they get in the way of living a peaceful life. Yet here you are, scrolling, 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 and scrolling. And this isn't a judgment because I do the same thing. It's just recognizing that if I'm filling my time, my calendar clutter with Instagram and TikTok, What's happening? I don't have that time to spend on something more meaningful. Mm. And so Instagram and TikTok, when used one way, might add value to your life. But if you're being honest with yourself, maybe they're just getting in the way. And I say it's overrated because we spend so many hours staring at this glowing screen and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. But maybe it's just adding clutter to your life. I'm imagining uh, Danny making this a TikTok. (laughs) 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 The irony. Speaking of social media, Malabama, what time is it? Oh, you know, it's time for TK's Tweet of the Week. We got something from Elaine here. Wouldn't you want to read this tweet? 
All right, Elaine Welterwolf. When switching jobs or careers to escape burnout, remember your bad habits are as transferable as your skill set. Consider resetting boundaries part of your new job description. Any external change requires internal work. I'm thinking about when Ryan and I left the corporate world back in 2011. One of the things that we did was we were able to carry forward the things that we enjoyed doing in the corporate world. We didn't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? But I think what you're saying or what she is saying here is sort of the opposite of that. Elaine is saying is like, right, you want to keep the baby and not the bathwater, but remember not to carry the bathwater into the living room or into... and. Isn't that perfect for this topic we're talking Mm. about today when we're talking about clutter core quite often is, oh yeah, these things, I really enjoyed those. I enjoyed this. I got something from it. I don't enjoy it anymore, but I might as well display it now. And it's like, no, 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 I'm holding on to the bathwater and I've lost the whole sight of the baby Mm. in this analogy, right? Mm. And so, yes, Ryan and I, the beautiful thing we did when we left the corporate world is we carried forward our skills and our quote-unquote good habits from the corporate world, uh, being able to lead a team of people or being able to market effectively, right? Uh, Being able to write well was part of something that we did. And so, carrying those things forward, being able to communicate, speak in front of groups of people. Mm. We got all those skills from the corporate world. But just as important was not bringing forward the things that were making us miserable. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I like this tweet a lot. Um, Makes me think about how, you know, we were in telecom and then I got a job offer to go to a different telecommunications company. Mm. And I remember calling Josh because we had already started The Minimalist. And I'm like, dude, like, do you think I should, you know, take this other job? And um, I forget what you said, Josh, but, you know, something about jumping out of the the, the uh, you know, the fire into the frying pan mm. where it was like, I think he said something like, maybe you're jumping from one fire to just a smaller fire, but it's still a fire. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is the mistake that um, I almost made. I actually applied for the job, but because of my background check, I failed because I had too many speeding tickets. <laughs> crazy. I've never thought I would fail a background check for work because of speeding tickets. Anyway. Also the arrest for armed robbery. Yes, and the, and the armed robbery. <laughs> he didn't need that arm anyway. <laughs> but no, I, um, I'm glad I didn't get that job because in hindsight, it would have been just, you know, one fire to a different fire. Mm. And I think when it does come to burnout, we want to like just throw our hands in the air and give up and go to something else. Just not realizing that if we don't do so intentionally, we're just we're just creating um, different problems, but problems nonetheless. Yeah. And if I were given all of Axel Vavort's things from the video earlier, it would be clutter for me even. Right. And so his things w- in my space would be clutter core because if I felt compelled, oh, I have to hold on to all these things mm. and display all of them. And, oh, I got to put this here. Where do I have room for this? Whatever. Well, now it's just clutter for me, right? Yeah. And so it's important to understand that it's perspectival. Hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of people who win the lottery and then they're in debt again. Or people who get out of jail and they go back to a life of crime because that's mm-hmm. all they know and they're back in jail again. A transformation of circumstances doesn't automatically result in a transformation of consciousness, right? And so we can't underestimate our ability to recreate the pain of a current situation. You know, when we get into a new environment, 
And, you know, like if you're working at a job and you hate it and, and you, you can never say no, like you might find a new job around people that you like, but you can recreate that misery if you don't learn how to say no in that new space. And so I like what she's saying here. Do whatever you can to change your life circumstantially, but don't hide behind circumstances. Don't neglect the mm. inner transformations that will allow you to make the best of those new circumstances. We have a little segment we call Obsolete Objects. You can email us your obsolete objects, podcast at theminimalists.com. You can also send us your sucky advertisements, your impulse purchases. This week, we have something from Melanie, Alabama. What do you got for us? She commented on Facebook and said, my mother-in-law told me if it was up to her, she would want her coffin to be placed in her storage units where all her nice things are and to rest there. I wish I was joking. Oh. Man, that's like a... That's just like a less fancy pyramid. <laughs> you know what? You're right. <laughs> it is. It's like, I mean, that's what they used to do back in, you know, back in those days. Um, the Egyptians would bury their beloved rulers with all their stuff. Put me in my clutter sarcophagus. Yeah. Oof. Put my no. coffin in my clutter coffin. <laughs> and so what we're going to do is we're, we're mummifying ourselves because that's the only time we've ever done this. Ryan brings up a great point. Mm. Well, I want to be buried with my clutter. Now, I'll tell you the thing that really stood out to me from this comment. She wants to be placed in her storage unit, in parentheses, where all of her nice things are. So I don't have all my nice things at home because why? I'm afraid to display them. I'm worried they'll get caught in a fire or a flood or someone will steal them. So instead of the nice things that I can enjoy, I'm going to hide my nice things. Mm. Reminds me of our friend Rob Bell, his rule about, Always use the fine china. Mm -hmm. Every day, he and his family eat on their fine china. Their most expensive plates were given to them at their wedding, you know, 25 years ago or something. Every day, use the fine china. Don't wait for the special occasion because every day is a special occasion. Love it. Yeah. And, and, and what's the antithesis of that, of, of using the fine china today? It's saying... Instead of living my best with what I have right now, I'm going to take all of my nice things, put them in storage so I can think to myself, boy, I can't wait until I'm dead. Then I can be buried with the nice stuff. Oh, woo. Wow. One thing I would do, though, in response to that statement is say, why is that? Why is that? I'd be curious to know what the answer is because sometimes people can say things that are so absurd on the surface or so easy to refute with logic that we forget to inquire as to why that was a meaningful thing for them to say. Mm. If you ask her why she feels that way, it could initiate a thought process that causes her to reflect on her own convictions in a way that you simply can't motivate her to do by refuting it with logic. Mm. Mm. I want to show you a picture of my home. So every week we do the Photo Friday home tour. If you subscribe to the video version of the podcast, you'll see this photo on the screen. And while I am no Axel Vavort, what you see here is my entryway. So you walk into my home and what we have here is a photo. Some of this, some of these things are useful. They're practical things. So on the top, I have this bin. This is like, 
if Bex has anything she wants to give me, it's essentially a really nice looking mailbox. It's just a, <laughs> uh, a bin where she puts like, hey, Josh, here's a, you have an envelope uh, that came in the mail or you have some and it hides the things I know I have to deal with. I mm. have to do something with these things because I'm not going to let this thing pile up. Also, if there's something I want to bring over to my place, which is the garage, (laughs) then she'll put it in there and and I'll I'll store it in there as well for eliminating throughout the day. And then throughout the the shelves here, there are a few other things that are practical. There's a little black bowl there that I throw my keys in. Beneath that, you see where we keep our phones. We have something called the entryway rule. So we can't, our phones don't follow us around the house, which also means that Instagram and TikTok and email and uh, text messages don't follow us throughout the house either, the entryway rule. And, and so I simply set my phone there. You see Bex's phone. I actually picked up my phone to take this picture. So you don't see my phone there. And then there is a this old tree that someone carved into a dish, basically, where that's where Bex keeps her keys and random po- things from her pockets as well. Also, Ella will charge her um, tablet there. It's where we keep her tablet as well. And there's a, beyond that, these are all just beautiful objects that we get value from, whether it uh, are the foreign copies of Love People Use Things that are there or these other objects of art. No, they don't have a particular function. I mean, I don't use them. I don't pick up the little bird statue here and like, I don't know, chase Ella with it. (laughs) But these things do serve a function in the sense that they are welcoming. When you walk into the home, it's the first thing that I see. And then I rotate these objects regularly. I'll bring one of these to the shelf in the bedroom and take something from the shelf in the bedroom Mm. and play around. It becomes this constant living, evolving art project without having to acquire a bunch of new things Although if I do see something that I really think will add value to the house, the aesthetic beauty of the house, I'll check with Bex, make sure she feels the same way, and then we'll bring it into the house. But when we do that, quite often what will happen is we have to get rid of one of these objects because we're not going to take on the clutter core mindset. We have enough things. If we'd like to bring a new thing in, we'll let something go. But I'll also keep rotating these things if they continue to add value to our lives. But if not, I'm not married to any of it. I'll let go of any of these at any time. In fact, aggressively want to let go of them because I know as soon as I start clinging to it, now it's doing the opposite of adding value. It's creating that clutter up here. Mm. Mm. I bet you were a heartbreaker in high school talking to the ladies like that. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, but I'll let you go anytime. Just like that. There was a girl I I was dating and, and... she was like, yeah, I know you don't need the, I was talking to Bex about this, by the way, on the, uh, <laughs> the minimalist, uh, on uh, her podcast, How to Love. And she's like, I know you don't need to like be with me, but I wish you would need it just a little bit. <laughs> and the thing that I explained and it totally resonated was like, no, the reason you enjoy being with me right now and the reason I enjoy being with you is we don't need this. And as soon as we absolutely need this, it gets in the way of wanting it. Mm. You are not an expression of my insecure thoughts about not being able to make it without you. Yes. You're an expression of the fact that you enhance my life, even though I was fine as I already was. What is it? I'm a I'm a I'm a movement by myself. Or is it? Mm, mm, I'm a know. force when we're together. 
You make me bad. Something like that. I gotta, I gotta. Is it John Legend? No, no, no man. No. What's this? Is it I'm a movement by myself to force me together? Or the other way around? I'm a force all by myself, but a move. I don't know. Man, that was preaching that up, up until me. the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, we'll take care of it in post. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> Our final segment today is called Advertisements Suck. Actually, we had two more segments. We got the added value segment. I do want to get back to the live stream as well, Alabama. So we'll check in there in a moment. But we do have the sucky ad segment. I want to read this to you because we had someone named Rich who wrote in to us and I wanted to be respectful and I wanted to accept his feedback and his criticism Mm. here Mm -hmm. during our sucky ads segment. Rich says, hello, and thank you for the podcast. I've listened for a few months now, and some of the content really hits home, which I love. Unfortunately, this positive is heavily weighed down by a negative. In every episode, you say, advertisements suck. And while I understand your position, hearing this, makes me have an uneasy feeling in my stomach. Mm. Why? Well, I grew up poor and chose advertising as a career. It's put food on my table and a roof over our heads. It's kept my kids from growing up the way I did, having to move out in the middle of the night, skipping rent before getting evicted. Mm. It's provided many great experiences and opportunities for my kids. I can keep going, but you get the point. All that said, while I appreciate your opinion, advertising does not suck. Mm. It's truly been a blessing. And if you continue to say this, I will have to stop listening. Thank you for taking the time to read this, Rich. Mm. Well, Rich, first off, you're going to have to stop listening. (laughs) And that's okay. And here's my response to Rich. I just want to read this real quick. and I'd love to hear your comments Mm -hmm. about it. Mm. I said, hi, Rich. I totally understand. If it helps, advertisements suck is not a moral stance or a judgment. Advertisements suck is merely a preference. We, the minimalists, personally dislike advertisements and we don't want to clutter our podcast with them. I imagine if you repeatedly said, kale sucks on your podcast and I worked in the kale industry, (laughs) I would be turned off by that too. Perhaps TK, Ryan, and I can answer your specific question on episode 376 during the next recording session. So that's what we're doing right now. Mm. In the meantime, Mm. we answered a similar question on our previous episode, episode 375. So without reprising that entire conversation, you all can go back to that. Mm. I will say, Rich, Rich, totally understand if you stop listening, wishing you the best. We do think advertisements suck. And it is not our moral stance. It's not, oh my God, you shouldn't be doing this, Rich. We simply dislike it. Yeah. And it's okay to dislike something. Mm. Yeah, you know, mm. adver- advertisers, um, they take advantage of, of people, poor people. Um, poor people being some of those people they take advantage of, but... And not every advertiser does that. Of course, yeah. So... Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, advertisements do suck, but yes, yeah, I love how you said it's not a moral judgment. It's not a moral judgment. It's just the fact that I kind of look at this as an experiment. Can we do a podcast? Can we do everything that we do without ever taking a dollar, uh, one dollar from from advertising? And so far, it's worked great. You know, yeah. um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, Rich. It's not a moral judgment. Just please 
if you get anything out of this, just know that we're not judging you morally. It's just something that we don't want to participate in. Since I am on a mission to help equip as many people as I can with the conceptual tools that help them create wealth as wealth is defined by them, I want to begin by giving a shout out to Rich in creating wealth for your family, overcoming the poverty that characterize your youth, mm. uh, developing the skills that you could take out into the marketplace and solve problems for other people, then turning around and being able to create a lifestyle for your children and your family that you could only dream of as a child, props to you. I hope more and more people can be able to follow your footsteps and do that. You sound like somebody that would make a great mentor to a lot of the types of students that I, I teach and I work with. So I love that more than anything else. Uh, the second thing I would say too is, you know, um, sometimes I do wonder if certain terms or words or manner uh, and modes of expression are are just never going to work. So for instance, as we have talked about many times, we don't have to get into the weeds about it now. Um, there is a technical sense in which I would consider myself to be a supporter of capitalism. But what I mean by that, consumer choice, customer accountability, freedom of competition, almost no critic of, critic of capitalism means that. They mean something like corporate greed, mm -hmm. um, you know, bureaucracy, getting in bed with big business and all these other sorts of things that I also criticize. And so whenever I have conversations about free markets and economics, I give up on that word capitalism. I don't try to bend people to my understanding of the term. I just say, forget it. You can define that label however you want. I don't even want to use it. Let's talk about the ideas. And sometimes I do wonder that with advertising because I know what is meant here that we're not going to exchange our freedom, you know, in order to take a paycheck from an advertiser. But I don't look at my TV and see a Tropicana commercial or I don't look at a Nike ad and think, you guys are immoral for that. You guys are wrong for that. And, you know, if Nike came to me and said, hey, can you do a commercial where you put on your shoes? And if I like the shoe, maybe, maybe Nike's not the right fit for me. But I don't think advertising in that sense is wrong. And I don't think that what Rich does sucks. I don't think Rich's career sucks. But there's a very particular understanding that we have when we say that. And sometimes I do, I do question whether or not it's possible to communicate that in a nuanced way that actually works. I think there's some room to question the attachment to the language here. Mm -hmm. But Rich, I understand where you're coming from, man. I yeah. totally do. And I understand exactly what is meant here in, in the use of that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope we can have your support. But at the end of the day, what I support more than anything else is each individual doing what's best for them. So yeah. uh, I wish you nothing but love. And I hope you continue to create more wealth and inspire other people to do the same. I hate to lose you though. Much love. I will tell you this. I love at our live events when I say this event is brought to you by nobody because and the whole crowd. I mean, Ryan and I have had 2,000 people yell out, advertisements suck. And you don't hear anyone else talk about this. Every podcast you listen to wants to sell you stamps.com. Mm -hmm. yeah. They want to sell you a Casper mattress. Me undies. They want to sell you underwear. <laughs> they want to sell you boner pills. Mm -hmm. They want to sell you things that don't align with them and who they are. And it makes me trust those people less. And I think one of the reasons you can trust us, if you do trust us, one of the reasons people trust us is because I'm not trying to shove a product or service down your throat. I'll create something that I enjoy creating. And if you get value from it, great. 
If you don't, that's okay as well. But I'm not allowing corporations or someone else to pay me to say nice things about them. Yeah. And that is the distinction Mm -hmm. that I want to make. And it's the problem I have with advertising. It's the reason we have so much stuff. We embrace the clutter core movement is because we feel so empty. And a lot of advertisers, not every advertiser, but a lot of advertisers want us to feel inadequate, Mm. to sell us their stuff, their junk, their excess, because they don't care about our well-being. Let's check in with the Patreon live stream. We have a question here from Brianna. When is the deadline to submit as a writer for Minimalism Life? Now. Do it now. <laughs> Five minutes. Minimalism.com. You can do it. You can submit whenever you want. Uh, but here, I'll give you a deadline. End of the month. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you got a comment for us? Yes. This is a comment in regards to Clutter Core from Kaya. She says, I think what I can understand about this is that people try to display their personality and creativity within a space. If it adds value to their lives without getting in the way, it can be appreciated. However, some people might take advantage of a creative trend to simply hold on or cling to their objects and assign this new label. Mm. By the way, trend is a fancy word, a dressed up word to say soon to go out of style. Yeah. Whenever something is trendy, Mm -hmm. you know that it is soon to go out of style. Mm -hmm. Now, how would Ram Dass respond to that comment? He would say, oh, it's cute. You think you have a personality. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of look at trend as amplified by the algorithms in order to get you talking about it for as long as I can get you talking about it. You know, sometimes when you when you look on Twitter, for instance, it's like trending, you know, whatever. And it'll give a name of an actor or something. And then you, you, you click on it and all the comments are, well, since this person's trending, I thought I'd share this video. And, and you literally see the trend being manufactured in real time, you know. And that's that, what a perfect metaphor. Because we, we talked about this in our first documentary, Minimalism. We went from Every having two seasons of clothes. So retailers who sold clothes and Every you would have warm season, cold season, right? And they would change. But now with fast fashion, places like H&M and a bunch of other places, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, when I see the clutter core picture, put that up one more time on the screen for me, Jordan. When I see this picture up on the screen... You know what I want to do? Hmm. I want to hire a team of employees from H&M just to start folding stuff <laughs> to, uh, to get these things out of the way. Because if you're dealing with all of this butter, man, how frustrating must it be to have to deal with that on your own? Mm. And so when I see clutter, when I see clutter core, I don't think of it as a friend. Because being mentally ill is never trendy, right? Now, someone might hear me say mentally ill and say that's a pejorative. I'm not doing that at all. What I'm saying is we all have some form of hoarding, or at least most of us do, right? And that's a form of mental illness. Mm. Now, I have OCD, which is a form of mental illness, right? That's not a good or bad. It's not a judgment, but it's understanding the way to manage the mental illness is not to manage the mental illness. It's not to organize our stuff. It's not to find a better way to cling to it. Mm. It's to cease the clinging. Let's do one more question from 
our Patreon live stream. Shout out to our patrons. Thank you. Yes. Last question comes from Eleni. She says, I am a student who recently moved to Europe from the States and other students in my apartment have started to notice how clutter-free my space is. And now they want that for their spaces. How can I help them get started? You've already have helped them get started, right? There's no helping. Um, You can simply support them because helping them would mean like, I'm going to now force them to declutter. And that's the worst thing you could do. In fact, that's called theft. You go into their space and start taking their things. Oh, don't worry. I'm just decluttering. No, no, no. You're taking the things that I want. And by the way, would it actually be helping if you went into their space and decluttered for them? I couldn't tell you how many times Ryan and I at events have had someone come up to us and say, oh, can you come to our home and declutter it for us? No, because it's going to be recluttered a month from now. I can show you the recipe, but if you really, really want it, you're going to have to find a way to do it on your own. We should have one Patreon tier <laughs> for $1 million <laughs> and it's limit to one person <laughs> and we will come and help you get rid of your hoard <laughs> or support you, however you want to say it. You know, it's funny. I mean, obviously the, I'm joking. Um, I, it, when it comes to helping, um, I don't know. I don't have a problem with the word helping because I look at it as support. I'm not um, talking about the word. I'm talking about the essence of what we're talking exactly, about. Exactly. Yeah. So the essence of helping to me is supporting. Um, but yeah, it's like, but I do agree that um, the, the the people that live in the same building, it's not a matter of like, yeah, let me go into your room and get rid of your stuff. It's more about like, hey, here's some materials that I've read. And here's some things I looked into that is really, um, you know, inspired me to live a clutter-free life. It might inspire you as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think when people get curious about how you can help them, it's helpful to get curious about their curiosity. So when someone says, hey, I noticed you're living this life of simplicity and intentionality, and I'm really inspired by that. Can you help me out? Really? What is it that inspires you about that? Yeah. What is it about this lifestyle that's appealing to you? Yeah. You know, mm. and, and, and then what is it that you feel like is going on in your life that's stopping you from just letting it happen for you right now? Mm. Just getting them to think about you using your power and your influence to put the attention back on their intentions and their goals and what makes them come alive. That's probably going to go much further than you think. And I just want to give a shout out to you for influencing people in the best way to influence them. And that's living your life the way you want to live it and letting other people come to you saying, hey, what's that philosophy? What's that tool? That's helped you get to where you are. That's that's the best way to do it. That's so awesome. Yeah. And the question always to start is, how might your life be better with less? Mm. Because for someone else, if your life would actually be worse with less, then subtracting isn't going to help you. But for most people, subtracting yields some sort of benefit, whether it's a financial benefit, a mental clutter benefit, a time benefit. Mm. Understanding what the benefits are will help you let go of all of that clutter that's making up your clutter core in your room yeah we're added value segment this week this is one of my top 10 albums on my top 10 list last year i think there were 11 albums on my top 10 list last year <laughs> you can find all of the the previous years the minimalists.com slash sound one of my favorite this is my favorite r&b group division and they released an album that was a total departure from their previous albums which are more of the sort of contemporary R&B, which I really enjoy their previous albums. This new one sort of went back, had a, a big slice of the 90s in it. 
And ah, oh, what a great album. The song you hear in the background right now, it's a song called Tired. This is from Division. Their new album is called Working on My Karma. What a great title. That's our Maximal episode for today. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Alabama, Podcast Sean, Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Social Jets, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, and the rest of our team. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things. Because nobody gives a f- what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kapil. Much love. Everybody have a good night. We'll see you next time. <laughs> oh, thanks, patrons. <laughs> Shout out to my main man, Kapil. <laughs>
gratitude. You and I, you're right. 